guys, welcome back to Choir Practice, and I just want to give a quick shout out to Jen Brotherton and thank her yet again for coming back a second time. Um, I told her, and you'll hear it in the show, the fact that my guests are willing to come back a second time is just kind of reaffirming that I'm on the right track and that they enjoy being here. It's not an interrogation, it's just a cool kickback conversation. So um, yeah, we dive right in and talk more about you know, wrapping up her detective time and then going into her being a supervisor and then a lieutenant and uh, another great conversation. We had a good time hanging out. So yeah, without further ado, here's Jen Brotherton. I know. All right. Jen Brotherton, back in the house. Uh, been here for, hold on. You bumped off of your, there we go. All right. Your hand sanitizer. That's yours. There we go. I know. I kept it there during COVID in case people are, you know, a little bit weird and want to, you know, sanitize themselves up. Hold on. Are you? I know. I know. My wife buys it. Buys it. And mm-hmm. gives it. I would blame my wife, too, <laughs> for the mistletoe. Yeah. Where is it? Bath and Body Works or whatever? Of course. Yeah. So, anyway. That's, like, up there by the on top of the, the bar. There's candles out the wazoo. But, anyway. She's calling me. Man. She's calling me out, man. Um, so yeah, you came. <laughs> and you said I repeat myself, but I'll repeat myself again. You came over at about ten thirty, and it's currently a little bit after one, and we haven't started recording yet. So, and we haven't had any alcohol either. Not yet, but I think it might be one of those days. Yeah. What does that say about us? Um. So I did listen to your first episode. Did you re-listen to yours or no? I only listened to it once. Okay, yeah. Because I don't like that? to. I don't like to listen to my voice. Me either. Me either. And that's what I always said. The the only thing that I do not like about this podcast is that I don't like listening to myself. Uh, although I do a lot of talking, but um, <laughs> Jen was kind enough to let me know that I repeat myself a lot. So, <laughs> well, if I did it as many times as you did, I guess I would as well. So I'll yeah, give you that. I forget what I say anymore. Um, but, you know, when I was listening to your first episode, there was a story that you kind of touched on right at the very end, and I wanted you to go back and talk about it, is you said that you and Roger Baldwin almost got ran over. Oh, and yeah. And then every time you guys run into each other, can you remember that time we almost got ran over? But that was all you said about it, and then you really didn't, like, tell the story. So I thought that would be a good place to jump off, and then we can... Um, like you said, it's kind of chronological order. You're just going to be talking about going from being, was it Agasol? Uh, I was a detective in Home Invasion oh, Robbery. Home Invasion, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So you were in Home Invasion Robbery, and then you got promoted to sergeant. So mm-hmm. I figured mm-hmm. we could start with the almost getting run over, kind of wrapping up Home Invasion, and then all the antics and the shenanigans that started when you became a supervisor. Well, yeah, so actually that incident was when both Roger and I were police officers in Midtown, uh-huh. and we were doing a... I think it was a vacant house and there was, you know, neighbors that were concerned about squatters and so uh, forth. And so we're there checking it out, which is odd because it was like near like Blackledge and Alvernon, so near Grant and Alvernon area. Yeah. Lovely place. A lovely place. Um, one of my favorite savings by retired Sergeant Mike Widmer was anytime you drive through that intersection and fill out a blue form. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> any of you who don't know, blue forms are for injuries or exposures. And so, um, yeah. yeah, so it was kind of classic because it was starting to degrade back then, even more so than it is now. It's a vortex for sure. It, it really is. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so we're just out on foot checking 
this house out and it was a big lot, like probably like a double lot. Mm. So from Blackledge all the way to the other side and we see a car parked behind the house and we're like, oh, that's weird. And this is daylight, like, you know, noon, one o'clock. I mean, it was, Mm. it wasn't dark. It wasn't nighttime. It was during the day. And so we go to walk and make contact with the occupant because we could see somebody in the vehicle and he literally like (laughs) puts it in drive and just starts heading our way. Did he see you? Oh, yeah. He knew we were the cops. He knew everything. And it was just one of those oh shit moments where like, what? I mean, we didn't even have enough time to even react or figure out what was happening because we weren't expecting that because how many times you walk up into a, you know, an unoccupied vehicle or something and you're looking, you're being diligent, you're doing all the things you're supposed to do. And then usually, you know, either they talk to you or they come out, you get, you have a little, I mean, because we had a long time when we, as we're approaching them. And ultimately what he did was just like turn around and head away from us and like drive over the chain link fence. Oh, oh yeah. And then cruised out of the neighborhood. But Roger and I. Should have dive out of the way. We were, no, it wasn't that dramatic because okay. we would have done what we needed to do right. for something like that. But it was just enough that it would startle us because it was like, holy shit, this guy just, what was he doing? <laughs> and uh, it was and you know, just and I funny. think, who was it? I remember at some point in our careers where Taz had to come out and officially say, do not manufacture probable cause by stepping in front of a moving car. Like, that's just stupid. You're going to get yourself hurt. Somebody tried to either hang on to a car or step in front of it and put their hand out like an idiot and almost got ran over, which then justifies a pursuit because it was a attempted aggravated assault, which probably could have all been avoided had the officer never stood out there and thought they were going to stop a car with their hand in the first place. Well, kind of and deal. I also, if I remember that right, also we had a, a rash or a few officer-involved shootings that happened, that occurred right. during that. So I think that was his way of mitigating the OISs. Right. And so. But I remember, I think it was about that time where anytime I did have to approach a car, I was trying to figure out how can I get to the blind spot and then walk up staying in the blind spot so that sure. some jack wagon doesn't see me coming pop it into gear and take off before i have a chance to contact or whatever um so yeah no no i remember as a matter of fact i was just driving through that area the other day because i had a doctor's appointment and there's some areas right in that same blackledge Glen, uh fort lowell that are still dirt streets to this day which is just so odd in a city of over a million people there are some roadways in the middle of the city that for whatever reason and I don't know the history behind it. There's still dirt. Oh yeah, oh yeah. There's never there's paved Fort Lowell and Campbell. There's a, a little quadrant of them there, yeah. and then over there by that old Fort Lowell area. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Because I think that's where I was driving as I was trying to cut through to get to a doctor's appointment. And I just remember I'm driving and I look over and I was like, "So there's some at, like by Fort Lowell Park." And then I was actually on Fifth approaching Wilmot between oh, Craycroft yeah. and Wilmot, and there was a neighborhood street that Indian was House dirt. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm just like, and those are like multi-million dollar homes tucked oh, back in there. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's like when Mike Thrall and I were talking about Jabali mm-hmm. right there, at Swan and Tutu. Yeah, that's a hidden gem too. Yeah, mm-hmm. really, really strange. A couple of basically mansions back there in the middle of the city is just odd, super odd. Stones throw away from a crack rock. <laughs> The crack stone throw away from a crack stone. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that is yeah. a pretty rough area, but it's a fun place to work. I mean, if you're it young was. and yeah. like to do cool stuff. And mm-hmm. um, so 
Yeah. Okay. So there you are with Roger. You almost got ran over, but let's, I guess we'll jump into um, talking about uh, home invasion kind of wrapping up there. Yeah. Well, I do actually have a couple, like I did take some notes on some wrap up. I see you looking at your phone. I know. And I can actually see it, which is shocking. Um, (laughs) I even offered you a pair of reading glasses. I know. Um, Well, I do have big fonts. Oh yeah, you do. (laughs) That's the only way I can see these days without putting glasses on every time. Um, well, I, I failed to mention the fact that every time I had a DOA, mm. literally almost every single time, it typically was a middle-aged or older male who never had pants on mm. and they somehow fell out of the, off the toilet, off the bed or out of their chair with face down and their ass in the air. And that was, <laughs> as a 24, five-year-old young woman, that was right. always the most shocking, um, visual to see and you know being the new person you jump on those calls because that was what was expected back in the time Mm -hmm. and uh oh yeah yep that was uh i was getting to the point where i thought that was the only way people die the only way people die and men right oh yeah yeah men die face down with their ass up naked bare bare ass yes yes and yeah it was always the most interesting thing well and the settling of the blood and the rigor mortis and all that stuff and depending on how long they're there then you have the flies and other things that follow and there's certain areas that they like to be and so that was a lot of fun too well and i remember learning in the academy and then seeing it firsthand myself um once i became a cop is that you, you know you talk about flies and the things that happen to bodies but i had when I was in the academy, they talked about a DOA at the Triple T truck stop. Mm-hmm. And the truck driver was laying in the little cab in the back of his truck and passed away. Well, this dude had a wiener dog who started to get hungry. Mm-hmm. And they start with the soft tissue first and then work their way down. So all the dude's genitalia was gone, his lips and his nose, and I think his ears were gone because the dog started to eat his yep. owner. And then again, like I said, I saw it as a new sergeant on the east side where this guy had two full-size uh, standard poodles, like 80-pound dogs. Right. I mean, they look like uh, like long hair, long curly-haired like Dobermans, these things, and their owner had passed away, and we got there, and they would not let us in the room. They were ferocious, but they had started going to town on this dude, and it's just... It's not great. And I remember the joke in the academy was that that little wiener dog, like somebody from the sheriff's department adopted him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they didn't know who else to give him to, but that, so right, some, right. one of the deputies adopted him. Like, don't ever let that dude kiss you, kiss you no in the face. No doubt. Well, I think uh, the most shocking part of uh, the animal predation, if you will, of their owners is when cats do it. Mm, so cats will do the same as dogs, sadly. Mm, and so... Yeah. Yep. Predation. Good use of the word, by the way. Well, this is like, we're supposed to keep it like junior high level. We're not college level here. I mean, come on now. No. We're college educated. But, Let's yeah. use multisyllabic words. But it, uh, yeah, it gives a whole new meaning to, to the name wiener dog for sure. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's another story. Oh, I yeah, yeah. I don't know if anyone else will think it's funny, but it dawned on me afterwards and I was really sad that I failed to mention this. Is um, I was working midnights and I was just cruising around and I s- there's an elementary school right at Country Club and Pima called Blenman yeah. Elementary. Mm-hmm. And it's an old, nice neighborhood, nice neighborhood school. 
And there's a road that runs north and south on the west side of the school that goes along the playground. And Mm -hmm. I remember just, like I said, I was just, I don't know if I was looking for anything or what I was doing. I wasn't on a call. Mm -hmm. And I remember this part because I was actually embarrassed by what I saw. Um, I scan just my eyes and Mm -hmm. I see a man lying face down in the playground sand. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Did I even really see that? So I get out of my car and walk up to the fence, you know, which is a chain link, like three foot, four foot fence or whatever. And I yell like, hey, are you okay? (laughs) And the dude was boning the sand of the playground. Yeah. I wish I could make this up. Okay. And he was an older gentleman and he's like, hurry up and getting dressed. And like I say, I knew He's I wasn't on a call or anything. Fornicating with the sandbox. Yes. Literally face down, humping the sand. And That's a whole new meaning to dry hump right there. <laughs> dude, I, and like I say, I know I wasn't on a call. I know I was on anything because I, I literally didn't know what to do with this. And so I didn't check out on the radio. I didn't do anything. I was so mortified. I didn't even know what law he was breaking. I didn't have any victims. I just know that it was fucking strange as fuck. And right. I needed to like... Get out of there as fast as you can. You can't be a victim unless you see urethra, right? <laughs> or anus. I don't even think Isn't that it? we can. Police officers no, can. Right. Yeah, not at all. So, oh my god. Oh yeah, it was horrifying. You know, and I was like, oh, uh, just get out of here. What are you doing? Oh I was, gosh. yeah, it was mortifying. So, well, and that's the thing too is like when you when you're teaching the academy, like you can't even begin to explain all of the things that a young officer may encounter in their career. No, never. And and although that happened to you the one time, I bet it never happened again, right? No. Nope. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just, it's insane. Um, and I kind of said that, I think I came up with a term when I was working internal affairs, because uh, did you work internal affairs? I did. Yeah. So, and I guess we'll get to that, huh? But um, like, you can't even imagine what people are capable of until you get into an assignment where you know all this stupid stuff. Oh yeah. You know, and I guess being a detective, you kind of get to see like you're introduced into a a whole different world. But, um, these are the stories. Like when you go to the parties with your friends that aren't cops, these are the stories that people just, it blows their mind. Oh yeah. Well, it really resonated with me when Mike said, cause I did listen to Mike (laughs) Thrall's, um, episode last week Yeah, or this week, whatever. And, uh, you know, it's like when people are always harping on you, like, tell me a story. What's the scariest or what's the worst? Or what's I'm like, well, which one do you want me to start with? Right. Like, you want gross? Do you want scary? Do you want funny? You want, yeah. Well, like, and, name yeah. your genre because I have a story. <laughs> and well, you need yeah. to know, like, at what level are you comfortable with how the story is going to be? Because right. it's probably outside of the confines of your brain and your capability of thinking how effed up humans are. And right. we've seen it all. Well, and I think the true tell is when you tell the story and you laugh afterwards, kind of like we're doing right now, right. but everybody else in the room's like yeah. looking mortified, you know? <laughs> and then you're like, oh, too much. I think I shared too much. Um, but Radinsky said that. He's like, when people from his new career find out that he used to be a cop, they always, oh, tell us a cool story. And he's like, do I tell them one that's going to make them laugh or do I tell them one that's going to bring them to their knees? Right. Typically opt, opt for the funny. Yep. You know, because... We, you and I have been a part of some stuff that is just so wicked and mm-hmm. so grotesque and so sad. Um, like you wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy. No, never. And we were a part of it. 
right. vicariously because almost, <laughs> you know, I think one of the best analogies is like, it's like being on a roller coaster oh, yeah. and you're getting dragged up the hill and you don't want to go over the edge because you know it's a free fall and your stomach's going to be in and it's just the adrenaline and everything else, but you go anyway, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of times you get dragged along for the ride and it sucks, but not having, uh, you know, we were talking about this off air is like saying no or having no idea or not having an answer is not even an option. No. You have to do something. And so, yeah. um, Well, the guy bone in the sonai did nothing. And I remember telling that to somebody who was like, well, didn't you get his name? He's probably a sword offender. I was like, I didn't even know what the... I literally did not even... I couldn't believe what I was seeing that I witnessed. And two, like... No, like, yeah, get him out of here. He probably was a pedophile or something, getting off on the fact that he's having sex with the sand that all these kids are playing on. Yeah, don't I'm, let's not go there. Yeah, 20, 20 years ago, that's still <laughs> seared in my head. Uh, but again, I mean, for anybody that might be listening that's never been in law enforcement or first responder of any of those things. Like you can't imagine it. No. Yeah, you can't imagine no, it. No, not at all. Um, I don't think I did. I tell you last time that I went to motor school. I don't think so. Yeah, that was one I had written down. Go. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and so that was it. Just the motor school. Yeah. So funny enough, <laughs> I, um, yeah. I had ran my mouth at a motor party. Mm, um, well, first off, it starts off with because Dave was in motors. Yeah. So um, I was about ten and a half months pregnant. And Mary Kay Slider cornered me um, one time and she was like, hey, when are you going to test for motors? And I was like, I don't know. Did you ever ride motorcycle? No, God, no. Oh, okay. No, this is back to me. Like, you just jump in. I just jump in with both feet and go Some of the lady cops that we know have or do, you know. No, it wasn't my thing. And and literally, I think we're in the restroom. Like I said, I was ginormously pregnant at the time. And she puts her arm around me and she's like, well, we need more big girls in there. And I was like, I am also like about to give birth to a watermelon, but okay. Um, So anyways, I think it was the following like (laughs) six or eight months later, um, it was some motor competition party or something. And I ran my mouth about, yeah, I'll test for motors because they were like picking on me about it. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Whatever. I'll do it. And then they held me to it. Like all the motor guys were like, so you said you're going to test for motors. It's coming up. Are you testing? Mm. I was like, I guess I'm testing because I walked myself into that one. What do I have to lose, right? Yeah. Other than a leg or an arm or my back, Your life. like whatever. <laughs> so I I went through the whole process and um, like picked up the Kawasaki from the ground. Right. Um, yeah. Let's talk of, about that a little bit because yeah. I don't know that I knew that until I became the lieutenant somehow of like, oh no, I was in charge of team one motors. Mm-hmm. But my sergeant was him and Mikey Allen. It was um, Corey Nolan. Corey Nolan, thank you. You're and uh, and Mikey were in charge of the process, mm-hmm. and so they I had to go and stand by while they ran all of these potential. Yeah, because you don't even go to the oil board until you can pick up the bike, right? And so they teach them how to pick up this almost eight hundred pound yeah motorcycle off the yeah. ground if yeah. it falls over. Yep. So you did that. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just a little legs and a lot of back. You got it. Yeah. If you do it right, it's not that big of a deal. No, no. You, and you, you figure out the technique. It's it's easy. Yeah. It, it does actually work the way they teach you. So, right. so yeah. So I tested <laughs> and was on the list to go to the school. So um, we didn't tell our parents at all. And oddly, um, <laughs> that I was doing this. And uh, uh, my in laws were coming down for a weekend or something. And 
which was highly unusual, but Dave was like, hey, let's go meet really quick before we go talk to my parents. And Because um, he was already motor. Yeah, he'd been motors for and years. And they did not like him being a motor? Um, no, I think they were okay with that, but I think it was just one of those things. We didn't want them to be shocked having potentially two people on motors, mm-hmm. you know, just an elevation of, of worry. Danger. Yeah, yeah sure. Um, because we had already decided at that point, I think we'd sold his personal motorcycle that at no point would either would we ever ride that together yeah. because we can't afford to lose both of our lives with right. our two small children at the time. And so anyways, so that was, it was a unusual behavior for him. Like, Hey, we probably need to be on the same page. Let's meet up before we, you go home. We, I go whenever I get home. And so I just remember that standing out. But, um, so I ended up going to school and I like, I fell a hundred times a day and then some, so I was yeah. lifting that motorcycle up over and over and over, but I had never ridden before, so it's much like shooting a gun. If you never shot a gun, right. you quickly get fast because the instructors are so proficient, and yeah. they they do teach you. And if you do pay attention, so guys who were in my class, um, once we put the fairings on, mm-hmm. so the big front part of the motorcycle, yeah, like the windshield. Yeah, or you have to pay attention to. You have to look beyond where you want to go, much like yes. riding a bike. So yes. you wherever you look, you go. Right. So if you have to make like I always called it circus riding. You go in and do the figure eight or the the cross. Yeah, beep, 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 beep. yeah, yeah like completely. the Shriners. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> because I had you know at that point it was a week and a half into the school, so mm-hmm. I was at what hour sixty probably at this point. We they throw the fairings on, and if you look and you have to look hard where you want to go, yeah. you stay upright and you can do the circus riding like it's nothing, which was. It was really cool to experience Isn't it. Weird? That. Yeah, and yeah. so I mean, it's very similar to the bicycle training mm-hmm. and doing some of the stuff that they have to do in bike school. And so the guys who had a lot of riding experience that were like washing me out of the water when it came yeah, to like the they first make it few look days. Too easy. They made it easy, but throw the fairings on. They had to now do what I had been doing, which was look over and harder mm-hmm. because they were. I mean, they were skilled riders at that point, and so they were falling. And so it was starting to get in my head a little bit, like, well, that guy's. He's been riding. He was doing so well. Why is he falling? Why is he mm. falling? And but I wasn't. I was like, okay, this is crazy. Like, I guess the training's working. And I mean, they, you know, they get you up on that embankment. Yes, and you have to hold it. And I just remember like praying to God, like, do not look, do not look, because people are falling. Yeah, the bikes are rolling. They're falling off of that huge embankment on mm. the driving track. And um, and I remember just staring at the concrete. Do not look anywhere else. Do not look anywhere else. And I'm literally saying this to myself. Yeah. Continue to look because the moment you look, you fall too. It's it, it doesn't look from a distance like it's that steep. Oh my gosh! But when you're on it, yeah, it's intense. It is crazy. Yeah, super crazy. Bank turn. Yeah, it's it, it's high and it's hard. And so you're sitting there upright at the top of the embankment. Yes, looking straight ahead because if you look down. Yep, you, you go. You're probably going. Yeah. yeah, and that's what would happen. So you literally are. You stop in the center of that embankment or near the top of it, mm-hmm. and you lean into the embankment. Uh, stopped. So you have your right foot. Say you're, you know, facing west. Right. You're stopped. Right foot down, mm-hmm. holding that front brake like hell, mm-hmm. and staring into the concrete because if you move your head or try to peek because people are falling, you're next. And so, uh, yeah. So that was super scary, but I somehow managed to stay upright and <laughs> drive off with no and then problem. Did you, so did you pass? No. So get this. <laughs> that's the best part. Yeah, last day. Leave us on a cliffhanger. Last no. day of um, track training, you qualify uh, and you drive down to MVD, you get your motor license and then you do road school. And um, I couldn't get 
um, I can't, I think it's a 270 turn that you do initially. So you're yeah. facing these cones and you basically <clears> turn <throat> out of that left or right, whatever your preference is to get out of it. And then yeah. you go around this obstacle and then you do the circus riding, which I was yeah. really great at. And the 270 is really hard to do just because it's like almost a full circle to get out of that. Yeah. And, um, and I kept falling and it was weird and, or I'd get out of that. And then I mentally, I just wasn't there. Yeah. And, um, I remember Mark Davis, who was one of the instructors yeah. at the time. He's like, Jen, something's wrong with your bike. Just take mine. But I never wanted to blame the equipment, right? I was like, yeah. no, it's just me being mental. I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. Ultimately, I didn't get my two clean runs, which was okay. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because uh, Mary Kay was actually the sergeant that oversaw the track training. And then you went to Steve Colbertson for road training. Yeah. And I didn't know Steve at all. I just remember sitting across from him at lunch one of the days. And I was like, oh, this guy seems scary. I don't know if I want to spend two weeks on the road with him. He seems... He seems mean. Um, Ultimately, we'll get to that story, but Steve and I ended up being famous friends later on. Okay, write that down. Usual. Uh, Well, it goes into another story, so it's great. Um, But, yeah, so Mary Kay was like, well, sometimes we don't want to question these things. There's maybe another reason or higher power or whatever. Like, we'll just do this. And I was like, yeah, you're right. Well, the very next day, there was a Harley's owner's group, um, like, expo at La Mesa RV or something, Mm -hmm. and... We had gone down to watch Dave, me and the kids, to go down and watch them because they're on Harleys at that time. Oh, so yeah, yeah. we're training on Kawasaki's, but the department had transitioned to Harleys. Right. And one of the uh, sergeants, um, his Harley blew out because they burned the clutches out on those Harleys all the time because yeah. they were just heavy. They're not good for Arizona riding. Right. They were just a whole mess. But anyways, so he goes to get a spare from the shop. Well, the spare he picked up was the one that I kept crashing on the day before. And he tried to do one circus bear run, and he goes down, and he's like, the fucking clutch is out on this thing. And I'm standing next to Dave, and I was like, he's like, just let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. And I was like, I knew it was, I mean, I should have listened. It was a bike, but yeah. I'm I'm just the kind of person that I didn't yeah. want to put blame, you know, shift responsibility to something yeah. other than myself, because I knew I was having a little mental yeah. gymnastics, if you will, about my confidence at that point. You know, everyone performs differently when it comes to testing, right. you know, and yeah, and either so, physical or or mental or right, whatever. Right, right. And then, yeah. you know, I mean, we see people that shoot just fine with no pressure, and then it goes to quals, and they're they're not qualifying. Right. And there's no reason why. Yeah. Um, so that motor uh, qualification, yeah. So ultimately, I did not. And really, when it came down to it, I had to have a real um, introspective conversation with myself. Right. I was a little too vain to be a motor officer. My hair was <laughs> sopping wet. It's September. Yeah. It's hot. Yeah. So I had to like do weird stuff with my hair to keep it looking so it wasn't like, and I'm not a short hair girl. Like yeah. I would have never been the G.I. Jane short pixie hairdo. Right. Like literally. And then, you know, like I like, I like my makeup to look a certain way. I like wearing lipstick. Like I am mm. a girl who, <laughs> yeah. like ultimately Mary Kay was absolutely right. Like, that was just not my day. And when I had to have that conversation myself, like looking like a wet, drowned rat every single day of my life, sweating in that helmet, yeah. was ne- I would have, my confidence, like never, never in a million years. Now, before we get too far down, yeah. how did the talk go with his parents? Oh, they were fine. They're super yeah. supportive. Like yeah. that's the one thing about my in-laws is they um, have always been really supportive of my career in law enforcement, any promotions I made. That's cool. Um, checking in, you know, um, even to this day, um, because his mom, my mother-in-law, she really is like a feminist before her time kind of person. Mm. But 
but she was a homemaker. Yeah. So it was a really interesting dichotomy that in the sense weird. of um, she was a stay-at-home mom and took care of all the kids, and yeah. they have very traditional roles in the house. And um, but she is a, a feminist in like hmm. equal rights and equal pay, and yeah. if a man can do it, so can you. You yeah. know, in that sense of a traditional feminist, I guess I would say. Yeah. And um, and so it was like, well, that's great. Yeah. That's. Like, and it doesn't. It's. It's not weird's not the right word, but I guess as a cop, that to me was never an issue. If you're a cop and you take calls for service, and I'm a cop and I take calls for service, and we've both been on for the same amount of time, then we should both get the same pay. Right. Yeah. If <clears throat> I'm in a burning building and I need you to climb up the ladder and carry my big fat ass out of there and save me, then have the ability. Right. Right. But if you and I are doing equal work, we should get equal pay. And the fact that your and my um, salaries were public freaking knowledge for our entire right. careers, right. then you know. Right. But um, yeah, I mean, I that to me was not even, it wasn't something that was on the radar because we all knew what we were all getting and we were all getting the same. Right. It wasn't like I was going to get promoted and get more than you because I was a male or because you were a female. No, this is the right. We're going to do the same work. Right. And, um, and yeah, so, and and let's face it. I mean, being a homemaker and being a parent, it's not like that's a walk in the park. No, no. I could have never been a stay-at-home mom. And I had that realization early on that just, I needed, I needed to have outside interests and things like that. It's not until now when my children are grown or almost grown where I was like, oh, I probably should have spent a little more time with them. Yeah. Like it would have been nice. There was a couple of times in my career, I think when I was a fairly new lieutenant, where things were just, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. as a new lieutenant, it's not great. You're not comfortable in your own skin. Nobody really, you don't have like tr- uh, field training as a lieutenant. You just, they give you your office and the key and they tell you to go, right. you know. But there was a couple of times where I think we had like a, an officer death. It was a new recruit that was in one of my academy classes at the academy. Then I got promoted to lieutenant. He's out on the street and he was up in Phoenix on like his day off. And was involved in a fatal collision. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and there was just a couple of times. That is one that sticks out in my mind where um, I would have been happy to retire and make lunches for my kids and make sure they got on the bus and got to school and would have been completely content. At that mm-hmm. point, mm-hmm. I had I was done. Yeah. I had had enough. And I remember it was like not long after that happened, Tanya and I went and we stayed for a weekend at La Paloma. And I'm just sitting there in there, you know, that dining room, you know, and right. I'm sitting there in the dining room and I'm just staring at the Catalinas and she's like, what are you thinking about? And I was like, if there was a way, if I could think of a way, I, I would gladly do that starting tomorrow. Right. Oh yeah. It's gladly. Oh yeah. And, and not to say again, that it's, it's definitely not a walk in the park, but, um, and it's, you know. It's an honorable job because let's face it, it's not easy to mm-hmm. get your kids squarely on their feet, uh, being productive members of society right. um, with little or no drama. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. it's not an easy job. It's definitely a full time gig. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. So, so that I think that's pretty much it to wrap up my officer detective time that I yeah. could come up with. Yeah. And then any other, because you said <laughs> when we were chatting, you're like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go a little crazy. I think I'm going to tell some crazy stories this time. So I didn't know if you had anything else there on the, on the no. notepad now. Okay. No, I mean, other than, I mean, there were some shenanigans, like my, a couple of my squads like to, um, 
if I, because I refuse to be a station person. Like yeah. I wouldn't go to the station to use the restroom. I wouldn't go to the station to eat. I, once I left at the start of my shift, I didn't come back until the end of my shift. That's yeah. just how I was, unless I had to for some reason. And so a lot of the dudes would know the Circle K's or um, later in life QT's, which that was a really hard breakup. I really let, you know, I know it sounds stupid because QT's were so nice, but I, I had a lot of good memories at Circle K's. <laughs> So oh I, I felt so I felt really bad <laughs> breaking up with Circle K and never yeah. stepping foot in there again because I really got to know the people that work there and you know yeah. we were handwriting reports so I'd sit behind the counter and and write my report you know in the yeah. middle of the night and I just had a special relationship with a lot of the women that work there and um and so anyways but I digress uh, but yeah they would come and hide my car so I would uh, walk out and my car would be GTA'd and I didn't know where it was so then I'd have to go find it you know. <laughs> That's funny, right? Up until the tone goes off and you can't find your car. Yeah. Somebody was always watching to make sure that didn't happen, but yeah. still, it was it was uh, super frustrating. And um, yeah, and you'd walk out and you're like, "Duh, you hit my car again." We had at the sh- because I was a sheriff first, and we dictated all of our reports on the phone. So there was a Circle K at Mission and Drexel, and that was our station away from home. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time, and they had installed a separate phone line for us that wouldn't interfere with their Circle K line yeah. so that we could stay there. Because what Circle K clerk working midnights doesn't want to have a cop car parked there? 100%. You know? Yeah. And especially back then in the late 90s, if it was cold, we played cop like firefighter. We would mm-hmm. sit there drinking hot cocoa and waiting for a call to come in. Because it was too cold to go drive around and patrol, you know? Yeah, And no, sometimes sure. if you didn't have any staffing and there's only two of you working that whole area, well, then you don't go out and be proactive because if you got a warrant or made an arrest, now your partner's there by themselves with no backup. And so, yeah, there was times where you'd just sit there and wait for a call to come in and oh, yeah. hang out. And yeah. So that wasn't a hard breakup for me, though. I, anyway, I, no. I know. It sounds crazy, but... Yeah. It, I did mourn that a little bit just because I, I would have to be more purposeful to go out of my way to find, yeah. to go there and talk to them. And, and yeah, after like just the cleanliness of restrooms alone, it was like, I'm never going to a circle oh, yeah. K again. I'll stop by and say hi to Miss Margaret, but that's it. That is it. Well, and that was always the thing that I used to joke around with all of my friends on the department that were women. I was like, I couldn't imagine if I basically had to undress because the gun belt and getting everything tucked in and getting your belt situated and mm-hmm. your vest and everything, I don't want to do that three or four or five times a shift. Like, no, yeah, it's you terrible. know, and yeah, it's a much bigger deal for you guys than mm-hmm. it was for us. You know, you just get fast at it. I guess. Yeah, I guess. But like, throw that gun belt on the ground, go, and <laughs> off you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So, home invasion robbery. Yep. Um, and you actually said some about a, a story that, that weaves into another story with Culbertson. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know if that has anything to do with movie. Nope. Okay. It's, all right. Yeah. It's in Sergeant land. Okay. It's in Sergeant land. In yeah. Sergeant so land. I yeah. promoted uh, to Sergeant, um, nobody from my squad could come to, to my promotion ceremony cause they had a call out for home invasion, of which course. seemed to be the theme actually. It happened a lot. Um, well for all my promotions. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> promotions, so, birthdays, holidays. Yeah. Um, but anyways, I went to team two. West Side. So, had you ever worked over there? No. Uh, mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So, which was odd because I did inherit some people that worked for Dave when he was a new sergeant in Team Two. Oh, weird. So, yeah, it was it was funny to see kind of how that came around. Hmm. But um, yeah, so so you could go back and tell Dave, you these people are screwed up. Like, what the hell no, are we, you doing? We no. were 
we rarely talked about work. Yeah. So it was kind of that nice, you know, situation when it came to that stuff. So Well, for me, like self-imposed pressure, talking about like if you qualify and you're fine right up until you have to qualify and then you put that pressure on yourself. But right. some of the pressure that I put on myself and nobody ever told me, but I wouldn't want you to get my squad in January that I just had all year long if they're all effed up. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. Like I want, I want it to be a well-oiled machine so that when you step in, maybe there's some little quirks or there's some things that you might do differently, but otherwise it just runs itself and you just have to be there to kind of manage the extraordinary, you know what I mean? And again, like nobody ever told me that, but it was always something that was in the back of my mind. I was like, I don't want anyone to come in and take over my squad, my whatever. Right. Yeah. No. Uh, And it'd just be a train wreck. Oh yeah. You don't want to leave your dirty laundry for someone else to clean. So. Or turf your issues, you know, like I can just, if I can just put up with this person for two more months, then there's somebody else's issue, you know, whatever. But no, so that's funny because I was like, I was wondering if you get in there and you're like, this no, person's a train well, it's been wreck. years at that point, but yeah. I mean, gosh, I promoted to sergeant in twenty thirteen. Okay, that was yeah, ask it was like was eight years. He yeah, uh, he, yeah, would, yeah. he had been a motor since like like two thousand six or something at that point. So yeah, so yeah, so it was you no know, long and far in between, but yeah. yeah, just ironically. So I mean, it was a good crew of really experienced officers. What was the shift? Ten to twenty Monday through Thursday. Oh. Oof, yeah, which was terrible having day. small children. Yeah. Yeah, so that wasn't good. <clears throat> but I had old school Bob, as I like to call him. Bob oh, yeah. Wilson as my LT, so that was that was good times. Yeah. Yeah, I liked working for Bob. So he was my captain uh, as a new lieutenant. He was my lieutenant when I was a sergeant in IA. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, of course, I never worked for him patrol-wise. He was an SRO sergeant when I was just a little... Yeah. A little kid. A little kid. A little baby. Yeah, yeah. Running around. Um, what do you remember? I mean, some significant memories from managing. Because you managed before, right? Were you managing at the bank when, before you became a cop? Quasi. I yeah. mean, I was like yeah. a teller plus plus or customer you right. know, s- service person on the other side opening new accounts. Mm-hmm. And, and then, you know, but like minimal like there was yeah. always there was another manager between me and whomever so yeah. i just had to you know do schedules or something easy like that or, oh, gotcha. or handle the escalated customer problem if you will not right. really supervise the tellers per se so gotcha it was very minimal it's um it's a different animal i don't know i had never been in charge i guess other than ftoing right, i had ftoed right. which is really the supervisor of one right uh you know Counsel in private, you know, praise in public and hold them accountable for the stupid crap that they do. Um, but it was, it was interesting. I got promoted in December of six of 2006. And when you get your very first squad after you finish field training, you know, you're just like, oh, shit. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to warp these young minds. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I didn't but, have young minds. I had very old, uh, skilled um, tenured officers. Yeah, that's that's interesting too. Oh, yes. Although I will say that even my friends and even some of the more tenured, it was always sergeant on the clock and Brian on the background. Right. Which was super cool because I thought that was going to be an issue that might pop up and they never made it an issue for me, mm-hmm. which was nice because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then you can just focus on other right, nonsense because right. there's plenty of that. Oh, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> but yeah, how about let's talk about significant memories as a sergeant then. Um, so that first, um, squad, so it was probably May. Well, I'll go, 
So I had, I had a really funny um, training situation. Oh, yeah, FTS. FTS, yeah. <clears throat> so um, my first FTS was Bobby Garza, who would worked in patrol uh, together for years. And we yeah. were good pals at the time. And so, you know, and that was easy because we grew up in the same place. We grew yeah. up in Midtown. So a lot of a lot of the management or supervision stuff, you know, that you do, we were kind of, we were cut from the same cloth. So, right. you know, making sure people set up quads and they're asking for the resources right. and showing up to hot scenes. It's Midtown and, 2.0. Yeah. So it was, it was a really easy transition on that side of it. Um, yeah. And so that part was good. And then I went to another FTS who really got along with him really well. But it was funny. Um, actually, hold on. I have to remember the order. No, yes, I think it was Larry Lopez hmm. was my second one. I couldn't remember if it was him or Dennison, but either way. Because yeah. um, in, in the sense I had a unique experience, I went and did a phase of FTS with Bravo. Oh. So I think that must have been like the third phase um, oh. because was I, was doing, I was doing well first and second. And so okay. he had switched from patrol over to CRT. Yeah. And so Stomatopoulos was like, oh, yeah, she can just stay with you. It'll be fine. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but I, as long as they don't turn you out on the street, right? No, no. but it was so funny. I had, um, you know, Larry, Larry looked at me, I think really as like a, a younger sister, a little sister. Cause I had been pregnant in backgrounds when he was there. Oh yeah. I like Larry. And, um, it was funny though, because like he would get nervous about me leaving. And so we'd be at our desk doing admin work really quick, you know, mm-hmm. PPR, blue form or use of force, whatever. I had my desk, he had his, mm-hmm. and I would get up and leave, and he would, like, come chasing after me. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I need to know where you're going. I was like, why? I'm a grown adult. <laughs> like, what? He's like, well, you know, in, in case I need to answer the radio for you or something. I was like, Larry, I've been answering the radio midstream for 13 years. I think I got this at this point. Like, it's oh, fine. Because I didn't know how else to say it. Like, right. <laughs> sometimes you just have to deliver the message like it uh, is. Like, I know yeah. how to do this. Like, yeah. This wouldn't be the first time my designator's been called on the radio when I'm doing other stuff, and I know how to do that. Like, right. give me some space here, bro. Like, we're hmm. going to be okay. Um, but we had a lot of really interesting um, employee issues and so forth. Like, somebody was going through a horrible, you know, divorce and some financial situations, and hmm. it involved a higher-ranking member on the department, and so that was problematic. And, oh, yeah, it was... You know, just strange stuff. And then their significant other were having medical issues um, as well and other employment sort of stuff. And um, and so it's just, you know, that was a real great learning ground on navigating yeah. some difficult employee situations. Well, and he, Larry, would be a great resource for two different reasons. One, because he's been a sergeant for a minute, so he knows how to be a sergeant to mm-hmm. deal with management type type issues, but he also was heavy in the unions. Right, right. And so when you're talking about those types of issues where you've got stuff going on, like what better resource? Yeah, no, because it's he good. understands it from a different angle as well. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. That's well and like cool. I said, we always got along really well, but it was for whatever reason during that time with him, he was really concerned about how I would be on a tactical situation because mm. didn't really have one in phase one with Garza. Mm-hmm. Didn't have much exposure with Denison. Like we had stuff, but you know, CRT is a different animal. Yeah. Um, and so he was like, well, how do you think you're going to do on your first tactical situation? And no kidding. I love him to death. Right above his head is this plaque that says, um, thank you for your dedication and service for 13 years of the human resource department or division. And I looked at him and, you know, because of course 
it's been a while since I've been on the street. I was only a detective for two and a half years, yeah. not even three years at yeah. this point. And I was a cop for almost 10 years before that, right? right. right. And so <laughs> I was like, I don't know. How did you feel with your first tactical situation after, what does that say? Oh, 13 years. I go, I was only a detective for two and a half years. Okay. That was it. And then lo and behold, Uh, I think we were very close to the end of my phase and had this gnarly situation. And I've got Domitopoulos running around with his rifle. He's like, I'm going to be on containment with this. You run this. And I was like, okay. Anyways, everything was fine. Is that the shooting on Somerville? It wasn't a shooting, no. no. Um, It was a robbery where they went into a vacant house and... Anyways, and mm-hmm. I, it was right when daytime SWAT force was coming out yeah. when that first happened. So I had Scott Haynes going, hey, what do you want me to do? And I'm like, Good to I'm on the phone with the realty company because I called them because I saw it was a vacant house. Is yeah. this house vacant? Do we have permission? We believe that we have our robbery suspects in there. And she's like, yep. I'm like, good enough for me. Yeah, go ahead. Go roll this right now. And they're like, okay. And so anyways, it was just one of those things that like it was the first time – I could show that I knew how to handle myself tactically in a manner. I mean, I had lots of help there and everything else. And my captain was super excited because I told him, yeah, go take that corner. And if you want, (laughs) if you're not taking IC, then I'll Uh, just use you over there and go. And it, it all worked out fine and it was good. And, and then I think we left on vacation for two weeks right after that. Oh, geez. <laughs> so you forgot everything something. you learned. No. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah. yeah, I learned a lot. I did, <laughs> I did learn a lot. I don't want to, I don't want to negate from what I did learn, but it was, yeah. I did learn some things on, you know, the employee situations and navigating right. policy and as it applies to employees mm-hmm. and things like that. So. Yeah. Right. And then, so when you finish FTS, then you're the, see, and that's the thing is every division was different and it all depended on call load. And so like down in team one, we always had a 9am to 7pm. Mm-hmm. And so it was weird to me because I just figured things had to be universal what across the city, right? you know, and, but you know, team two had a 10am to 8pm and then other teams would have like six at night till four in the morning, but we had five at night till three in the morning. And then others had like four in the afternoon till two in the morning. Oh yeah, And it was all just based on call load and and when they were the heaviest. So when right. did they want the most bodies and all that yep. stuff. But I absolutely hated the 9am to 7pm because it was a Monday through Thursday. You couldn't ever do anything because nope. it was, it ruined your morning. Mm-hmm. And then you got home too late to really do anything. And you're out during the hottest part of the time. In the summer. Yeah, it was terrible. Brutal. You're sweating when you get there and you're sweating when you go home. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think they actually wanted to change ours. I think it did for a while where it was like 11 to like 9 at night. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Not great. No, Not great. Like try and and make a doctor's appointment. You know what I mean? Like try and get an appointment for anything for that matter um, when you work that. And so I guess if there was anything good about the city having four tens, that was it, is it hopefully one of those days is a weekday. Right. And that's, unfortunately, you spend your whole day off just doing all the things that you can't normally do. Right. Which kind of sucks, but. You eat up your whole day. Yeah. 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 No, it's super, yeah, it was a lot. 10 a.m. to 8. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so then I rolled into my first squad, which was a lot of fun because mm-hmm. um, I want to say that they had been sergeantless for a while yeah. and really tenured people which has its a lot of benefits but also a lot of potential problems too right. and so i had some really tough personalities in there um <laughs> we don't have to mention any names if you don't want to. yeah no uh, no i mean one of which you i'm sitting at lunch with one of my colleagues a sergeant a fellow sergeant and his phone rings and it's one of my people calling and um he's like well this is weird shows me his phone yeah 
And I was like, well, I don't know. Answer it because my phone hadn't rang. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so this is strange. And uh, God love him, Brian. And I was like, okay, yep, all right, buddy, yep, okay. Well, I'm sitting here with your sergeant right now. I'll let her know. And so he's like, well, did you call her? And we're both sitting here staring at yeah. my phone. No phone call, no nothing. And so. Uh, Brian Knight. Yeah, Brian Knight. Mm-hmm. And so he hangs up and I was like, well, what's that about? And he's like, well, this person wants me to come down there and, and uh, help out with the situation. But I told him he needs to call you. And I was like, oh, okay. Where are they? All right. So lo and behold, what it was is. They thought that Brian would understand more because they were in the military and he was so mad. This officer was so mad at the way that this military person was behaving in a DUI or something oh. that um, he he thought he was going to punch him and Brian would understand that. And I remember um, <laughs> this is pretty funny because this all happens like within the first couple, you know, of course, a couple months, the honeymoon right. phase when things are supposed to be easy, right? right? And I was like, well, if you think you're the first and you're going to be the last cop that I peel off of somebody from ruining their career or getting arrested, you're wrong. Right. I have physically removed dudes about to make a bad decision in a use of force situation Mm -hmm. more times than I can count. And I don't even want to admit to them out loud. Right. Where you physically just bump, uh, because I'm a sturdy individual, (laughs) a guy your size who's in the, I can see that it's red and it's not going to go anywhere. I physically can shove you out of the way in yeah. a manner and go, I've got this. And I've done, you know, I did right. that th- back then. Careers, yeah. I would still do it today. And yeah. and it, you snap out of me and you're like, dude, thanks. Like that right. was going to turn bad. And so we had a moment where it was like, well, this is, you know, well, I just want I just figured he would be on the same page. And I was like, oh, this is my book and here's my page. And you mm. need to mark this page. Like, this is how this will happen again. And right. Um, you as know, it, as it should be, that's appropriate. Yeah, and yeah. and you know, it's it's it was those little micro conversations, if you will, that mm-hmm. slowly you know gained a little more respect with them because yeah. you know, I uh, I did make a note about you know it's it's really frustrating as of I would suspect any officer for this matter, but I think females feel a little bit more that you know there's a, a proving ground. Yeah, and yeah. every every place to I the went, men, but to the women, like. Super catty. Right. Like sometimes some of that drama, and you would know better than I do, but sometimes you're like, really? Yeah, I was like, really I get s- less grief from my male co you know, right. co-parts than I do from these yeah. other ladies. Yeah, well, funny enough, like I I didn't have I had my entire patrol career. Mm-hmm. I only had maybe one other, two other females that I ever worked around, you know, depending on my shift or hours and things like that. Right. And um and but like gosh, I only worked in one squad, no two squad, two separate squads where I had another female with me. The rest of them I was with all men. Yeah, which is not surprising to me. I right. mean, it's a male dominated yeah, career. Ten percent, roughly. I mean, yeah. TPDs at fourteen, almost fifteen percent women, which is higher yeah. than the national average. But yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so. I didn't really ever hear about that, you know, yeah. much. And I mean, if anything, it was, you need to be more like me. And I'm like, or they would want me to, you know, take women under my wing and show them oh, how to yeah. be more like me. And I was like, I can't, how I am is not how they are. We need to work with their strengths, improve their weaknesses, whatever. I yeah. can't teach somebody to be like me. Yeah. And, and that would happen continuously. And you know, as we got older and later on, there were other, there were some women that would come to me and like, I really looked up to you, and I always wanted to be more like you. But I, and I was like, you're not me. Like, yeah. And I didn't have the maturation level at that time, being younger. Um, 
to been, have been more of a supportive role model for right. some of those women. And I wish, you know, I lament about that quite a bit. That I think I got there later on in life because yeah. when you become a supervisor, a sergeant especially, like you really need to know the strengths and weaknesses of your employees because yeah. I don't need a whole squad of meat eaters and I don't need a whole squad right. of report takers. I need a good balance. Right. To right. you know, if I've got I've got somebody in my squad who really, really finds value in taking those child abuse calls and those sex assaults and things like that. Right. Like and then yeah, they know they're going to be tied up for eight or ten hours or more hours. Then okay, good because. The guy who likes to kick indoors is probably not going to give the same level of right. service or attention to detail. I mean, they're expected to. They're supposed to. Right. But I have somebody who's able to do that and wants to do that. So right. why am I going to harp on them to do more on-site when I know that they are the best advocate for those children or for those women or men that are being in horrible, horrible situations? And then also to be their champion, too. Because right. you'll have people like cops from other squads. Right. You'll hear the, the right. rumbling and the grumbling. You're like, look, they're taking the rapes. They're right. taking the DVs. Do you want that call? Right. So don't expect them to run 10 traffic stops in a day. Right. Because that's not their strength. That might be your strength. Right. And that's how you, that's how you assign value. Right. But I'm telling you right now, they do more. Mm-hmm. So if you have a problem with what they're doing or what you think they're not doing, come and talk to me. Right. And then I'll say you straight. You know, and I think when I became a sergeant of a year and a half is when I started to understand what you're talking about. Like, so I got to handpick my force unit. Right. Super fortunate. Only time in my career. Yeah. And I had meat eaters and I had people that were super studly cops, male and female, but were comfortable in a support role. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And thank God that I did. Right. Because they can't all be meat eaters no. or, or we're going to have an issue. Right. And they don't, they can't all want to go to quads, but nobody respond to the call. Right. Or we have an issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it was kind of funny is that they naturally fell into where they needed to be and it was never caused any friction because this is how we kick this, you know, take this call and knock it out of the park. Oh yeah. And everybody was fine with that, you know, and I was fine with it too and it worked out. Um, But uh, yeah, I don't know how we got off on that, but yeah, no, I mean, challenges, I guess, of being well, a new sergeant. Yeah. Just uh, some of those things that people just don't think about. I mean, yeah. and it's, it's the West side. So crazy stuff are popping up oh, all yeah. the time. It's oh, just yeah. weird, you know, weird things. I mean, a lot of what I remember that time and it's not because, I mean, we've talked about this before. Other guests have talked about this is like, we see so much stuff that it doesn't necessarily get seared in your brain yes. to memory. So yeah, you know. It's going to have to be pretty graphic, pretty horrific, or right. pretty funny right. in order to become a permanent mem- memory. Right. So a lot of the things I remember were the lessons that I learned as a new sergeant, you know, and experiences I had. I mean, right. I had one officer who, by all accounts, should have been like a superstar. He was a field trainer. He was all these other things. And lo and behold, he wasn't doing anything. Yes. And I, you know, I, I'm a trust and, and then verify kind of person. Mm. Trust but verify. There's the actual saying. Yeah. And so I kept hearing this stuff, kept hearing this stuff. And I was like, okay, well, let me see. And this sounds super crazy, but literally I went through and pulled like zero to two, two to five, seven or whatever, six to 15, and then 16 to 20 plus, right? Mm. And I just started randomly off the roster picking officers that fell into those 10-year categories to see what their average like three-month Supplements they wrote, number of arrests, 
number of case reports, traffic stops, mm-hmm. to have a like a general idea of what productivity was. Because if I'm hearing that he does nothing, he seems like he was busy. I yeah. mean, I know I'm approving approving some reports. Right. I don't also have a huge expectation because half of our shift is pretty dead just because the hours and we had two other squads that overlapped with us too, zero yeah. six and a zero eight, and then we came on at ten. So they've already handled the cleanup from overnight in the right. morning. Um, you know, let let me take a look at this. And then lo and behold, he was doing nothing. Like, he was doing nothing. Yeah. And um, so it was really frustrating and, you know, trying to rehabilitate that employee to become, mm. make them more productive <laughs> and get back in the game. And um, And ultimately, what came around is when they started doing... Um, can't remember. Oh, the arrest modules. Remember how when we had to write the report, if you arrested mm. someone, then you had to do an arrest module. Yeah. Um, this we had had that system for three years at that point, and he had never done one before. So when he came in, checking to make sure I got his work when I'm rehabbing him to get him to be a fully productive officer again, he you know showed his cards basically by saying, "Did you get my arrest module? I had to get so and so to help me with it, and you should have like two because I did them." And it was like. You just admitted that for three years you never did oh, necessary paperwork or arrested anybody or you somehow got someone else to do it. Right. Whatever it was. Right. And um it was a really it was a tough time because um, you know, their stripes were taken away and I I wasn't okay with that. It was you know, it was hard because this is somebody, you know, again, like you talked about, like, oh, we just wait the time out to pass them off to the next sergeant and they can right. deal with it. And I felt like I really, you know, I got stuck finally dealing with somebody who Right. He wasn't a bad person, and right. actually, when they were productive and now held to a certain standard, we're doing really great work. Right, and it was really tough. But um, old school Bob, as I called him, because mm-hmm. old school Bob, as you may or may not remember, would like to tell his old stories, and he would always use uh, "titty bar" as as one of his adjectives <laughs> for describing the adult entertainment establishments in in the West Side. And both are accurate. They are. Yeah. However, you know, this uh, was, you know, 2013, 14, like we're starting to evolve into a different climate and political mm. arena now with some of the younger people we're hiring and so <laughs> forth. And so I'd be like, old school Bob, knock it off. Like we don't use those words anymore. They're demeaning to women. And, you know, I know like that's just locker room rhetoric that I've been around right. for 15, 16 years at this point in my right. life, you know. It wasn't offensive to me, but I had taken on a new role mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. like, I now have to make our boundaries yeah. very clear. Like, yes. you and I standing behind Circle K, that's fine, whatever. Yes. I'm not offended by that. But we have young, impressionable officers yeah. who be- have grown up in a very different world than we did. Right. And it's kind of a weird thing, too, I remember feeling as a sergeant is you have to be everyone's advocate, even if they don't think they need it. Right. So when somebody comes into briefing and says a joke that's super risque... Although you might think it's hilarious and you just want a gut laugh, you have to tell them to knock it off. Right, yeah. Because someone in the back corner who may not have the courage to stand up and say, that is effed up, dude. Right, You right. cannot say that. Oh, yeah. But they won't. No. And so whether they need it or want it or even acknowledge that it's even an issue, you have to jump out in front you of those You have to things. draw the line in the sand. So, and I think how we got down this now that I think about it is old officers versus young officers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, man, as a midnight sergeant in charge of young cops, that was fun. Oh, yeah. It was a blast. And it was actually Dan Lewis that challenged me one time because I told him, I was like, who doesn't want to be a sergeant in charge of a bunch of young puppies that love cop work, right. you know? And he said, um, how do you get the older 
cops to be just as excited about doing cop work. Yeah. And he was kind of in that boat. I mean, he yeah. uh, he was never going to work for me. We were always he was always one level above me or we were peers. Right. But to his point, it really again going back and being introspective and thinking like okay, I can be a great sergeant of young kids. How do I be a great sergeant of these tenured folks? Yeah. Yeah. Um because nothing makes you as a sergeant look worse if you've got five meat eaters and one malingerer. Oh, yeah. No. And if you let the malingerer run the show like they had done, some of them had taken advantage and and really undermined the authority mm-hmm. of their of their supervisor. Oh, yeah, 100%. And, and that was something I was highly aware of, too, is I don't want to turf my issue to another sergeant, but I also am not going to let a malcontent who, you know, the person who complains the loudest about nobody else doing anything typically has the lowest stats. Right, right. Oh, yeah. But it's like pointing yeah. at everybody else saying, they don't do anything and they don't do anything, they don't do anything. And when you run the stats, they have nothing to show. Right. And everybody else is running circles around them. Mm-hmm. And so as a sergeant that wanted to be effective and wanted to accomplish things and, right. and even beyond sergeanthood, how can I let this person that everybody else knows is a piece of garbage right. or it's just lackluster? I right, mean, right. I don't want to call yeah. them garbage, but am I going to let them make me look like an ineffective, oh, yeah. lackluster piece of garbage? Or am I going to hold them accountable? Is it going to be a lot more work for me? Yeah, it is. Yeah. But I'll save face and legitimacy to all these other real cops yep. who are working their butts off Yeah. if I don't let this person steamroll me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> struggling Uh, today. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, no, it was one of those things that, you know, the rank and file was, gave me a, you know, high fives and stuff, but I wasn't necessarily proud of that because old school Bob left that employee in my squad after, you know, that little demotion happened, which was challenging too, because, you know, most of the time when that happens, they lose, you know, some of their abilities um, or luxuries, if you will. And sometimes it's like, well, you're going to be moved to a different squad or however it looked. Right. And um and so one of the re- more tenured individuals in there was a little rough around the edges and sometimes difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, he finally one day after briefing, he uh, he cornered me and he it was a couple of, it was actually it was a couple of things in that same conversation that always stand out. I love the story for myself just because it makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, he was like, uh, "What branch of the military are you from?" And I was like, "What?" He's like, "Well." I'm like, oh, okay, we'll play this game. Yeah. yeah. Which one do you think? And he's like, Marines or Army? And I was like, yeah, neither. This is, I'm, you know, this is two blue-collared. This is Jenny from the block. Yeah, right these here. are two. <laughs> I'm raised by two blue-collared folk who worked hard, and I put myself through college. I'm a college kid. This is what you get. And he was like, what? He's like, well, I just want to let you know the way you handled that situation and how you continue to treat them with respect and dignity and like one of us. He's like. Is real, you know, real admirable, and I'm really, you know, and I was like, wow, wow, that's a good compliment. Yeah, well, this is right on the heels of me telling him, like, yeah, you can't wear. This is before we went to the outer vest carriers, Mm. and um, and so he was wearing one from an old assignment, and it was like, no, it's you're out of policy, you're out of uniform, you can't wear that, and. Well, I got approval from our captain, so I marched my happy ass into the captain's office. I'm like, did you say that he could wear this? He was like, uh. I'm like you, you're okay with our cop being out of policy and setting an example for mm-hmm. the rest of the division with this thing. And that individual was an FTO, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, that's yeah. That's and a he was like, "Well," and I was like, "Okay, say no more. I will handle this." And so I was like, "Yep, yeah, no more. 
well, captain, like, no, the captain's not saying that. Like, you need to be in uniform right. appropriately like everyone else. So he decided he wasn't going to wear a vest anymore, which, again, is out of policy. Yes. And so um, we had one conversation, like, You're, you need to wear your vest. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm like, I'm not going to go explain to your wife and children why right. you got killed when you would have survived an injury had you been wearing a vest. Again, another thing, another weight Mm-hmm. That supervisors hold is I understand that at some point, if I want to be the supervisor of cops who are going to do dangerous things every day, right. it's more likely than not that I'm going to be one of those individuals that has to knock on a door yeah. and give the worst news in that person's life. Yeah. So don't put me in that position, exactly. Jack Wagon. Exactly. Yeah. And so, um, fine, and goes off, goes and puts it on. No kidding, like the next week, no vest on. I was like, okay, well. Does that remind you of like parenting your kids? Oh my gosh. And my kids weren't even that old at, at right. that time, old enough to be really pushing right. boundaries at that point. And so I was like. They, like they think you're going to forget. Yeah. Like, you know, like you, come on. We had this conversation once already. Like, here we go again. I was like, so this conversation, literally, Brian, I was like, so what leave are you using? He's like, what? And I was like, vacation or sick leave? What, what leave are you using if you're not going to wear your vest? Because I'm not going to allow you to deploy. Oh, you can't do that. I'm like, oh, no, I can. And there just happened to be a binder of general orders, like, sitting right behind him. So I walked over there, and he's like, oh, God, what's this crazy bitch doing now? Walked over, (laughs) grabbed that big old eight-inch, you know, three-ring binder and dropped it on the table he was sitting at. And I was like, well, this book says I can, and I will. So which which leave? Because you're not going – you're not deploying to the field without your vest on today. (laughs) And off he went. Because I think he was at – you know, I was at, what, 13, 14 years, and he Mm -hmm. was at – I think at 20 or very, very near at that point, if not more. And those are the exact fears that as a young sergeant, I was afraid of. And luckily I never got in that situation. Oh, I had them all. I had them all. Literally, (laughs) I am that person that got all of them, all of them. So, but, you know, ultimately ended up being a really good year. And, you know, I, you know, it's back to, we kind of touched on a little bit. It was like just one proving ground after another, whether it's male or female, but I think women do get it a little bit more because I remember having a conversation when the fellows in the squad at the time, Joaquin Acevedo, Mm -hmm. um, and he was one that had worked for David. I was like, when do I get to not have to prove myself anymore? And he was like, oh no, Jen, you're good. Like your reputation precedes you. And I was like, Good or bad, dude. Like, yeah. but he was like, "No, it's all good. We know that you you took care of business over in Team Three when you were a cop." And I was like, oh, "Okay." Lo and behold, that day, one of my one of the guys was in a fight, mm. and um, I'm the first one there, so I end up going hands on oh, and yeah. putting the dude in handcuffs or whatever, and um, and then everyone's rolling in, and the officer was injured sadly, something with his hand, finger, or something, and. Yeah. Um, and then you get like, cause it was at like Kodak or one of the mental health clinics oh, or drug yeah. rehab places and everyone's screaming and yelling about, Oh, look at her. She came in, you know, and I don't like that attention, yeah. but for my guys, that was just affirmation. Oh, yeah. And then it was like a light. And I was like, dude, I have to still get in a fight after 14 years. Now I'm a sergeant to prove that I'm worth a shit here. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Yeah. Happened to me in bike unit. God. I go to, I was a team one cop, go to bikes in December of 04, January 05. And it was kind of like uh, I wasn't in the cool kid club yet. Right. And then the first person that ran from Erica and um, I, Oscar, and I just go, and I was trying to clothesline him, and I ended up just socking him in the face. And after that, no problem. You're best friends now. Yeah. After that, no problem. Because when it's, when it's hitting the fan, Brian will punch a dude in the face. 
You know what I mean? And I it seems so simple, but again, it's, you got to prove yourself, but it, you know, kind of going back to what you said, man, woman, purple, arm growing out of the side of your neck. Doesn't matter. Three eyes. If I am fighting someone and you're standing there beside me, getting your hands dirty and not afraid to get mm-hmm. in the fray, I don't care if you're purple. Yeah. When we get up and we get to dust ourselves off, we can look at each other like, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, we did this. Yeah. yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. and and I think, uh, you know, and I know it is firsthand, but also I can understand it having been a cop and then looking upwards is when you see your supervisor mm-hmm. who is willing to get their hands dirty. Yeah. And they're not just sitting there in the air conditioning saying, hey, go over here and fix this. Right. And you go over there and write this <laughs> right. report. But you're actually out there and you're doing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I still had the same rule that I did when I was an officer. Like, I never, once I left the station, I never went back. Yep. Because yeah. I, I, it, it didn't seem of any value. Like, it's a pain in the butt. Half the time, if I would go to the station, I'd forget my stupid laptop because I came from the stage uh, where you, we had yeah. in-car computers. So this idea that this laptop c- could go with you. Mm-hmm. So it was always just a pain in the ass for me to... I would always figure my... Like, people call me. I was like, oh, what call are you on again? Yeah. And I was like, Battery oh, doesn't work. You have to have me, a charging let cord. Let me call you back because I left my computer in the car yet again yeah. because I just... I, you know, I couldn't yeah. do it. So. Well, you know, it's funny is that as a as a lieutenant, I'm working down in Team 1. And I'd already been there maybe about a year or so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think I was like 2016, 2017. And Greg Roberts comes down there as a lieutenant. And... um he used to call me all the time. He's like, where are you? I was like, what do you mean, where am I? And he's like, I'm at the station. I haven't seen you all day. I was like, I don't go to the station. Right, are you right, kidding me? Right. If I go to the station, I get nothing done. Right. If I stay out in the field, I can park off somewhere, um, You know, go to Circle K, get a drink, back into a spot, and I can do any and everything I need to do as a lieutenant right. sitting in my car. And also, guess what? They don't get robbed. Yep. Yep. And so he's like... You never come to the station? That just seems weird. And I was like, no, I hate going to the station. So then he started doing it, and it wasn't even like a week or two later. He's like, bro, you're right. This is so much better yeah. than going to the – and Code 11 on the south side was pretty depressing anyway. I don't know. I liked it. It's like a small little house where everybody – you have your – you're living is, with your nana, but... and you've got like <laughs> – Ten different generations live in there, but minimal windows. Good. I yeah, mean, no, borderline, borderline commo ish yeah, to me. No, I agree. And so, I would much rather sit in a Starbucks or at a McDonald's or even in a parking lot mm-hmm. than be in that station. Yeah, no. And so, and if somebody went on a traffic stop or a call, and I could just swing by real quick and make sure they're okay. Yeah, even better. Yeah, no, and again, I agree. Talking about earning the trust yeah. and the legitimacy of your troops. Oh, yeah. Do that a couple of times. Yep. And the word the word spreads. Oh yeah. You know, and they go, oh, yeah, Brian's out there. Yeah. He stopped by on the he stopped by on your traffic stop. Yeah, he came by on my traffic stop to make sure I was going for Oh yeah. Yeah. That's badass, you know? And so so you do the ten to ten to twenty for probably the rest of that year, I would imagine. Yeah. From May until shift change in January yep. or whatever. Yep. And then what do you do after that? Eight to eighteen. Oh yeah. Sat, what was it? Oh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Oh. Yeah, it was amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, the hours aren't bad, but the days are. Yeah, they're terrible. I mean, yeah, for, a, for somebody with family. Yeah, yeah, with mm. sports and things like that. Actually, that's when you called me to come pick you up. I was working that shift. That's right. Yeah. I was in IA, and I rode with my family to... Whatever that park is over there, I can't think of the of name Miracle of it. Miracle Mile I know exactly. and Fair. Yeah, I can't think of the name of it right Joaquin, now. Joaquin, it's like is not, it Marietta? 
No, that's no, over that's on the off west side. Silver yeah. But anyway, so we're at that park. My son's got a soccer game, and I get an internal affairs call out. And I'm like, call comma. I'm like, which sergeants are currently 10A in team two? And she's like, uh, Sergeant Brotherton. I was like, okay, have her call me, or you call me, or I called you. I was like, will you please give me a ride to my house? And all the way from team two to Rita Ranch. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. even close. No. It is literally the opposite side of town. But she took me to my house so that I could change into my shirt and tie and go deploy on an internal affairs call. That's funny. I forgot about that. I had been there. I had to have uh, someone once do that when I was a detective come pick me up from yeah, yeah. <laughs> a sports event because I was like, what are the chances? I like, we're just going to see this. And yeah. That's hilarious. Erica, yeah. Erica lived halfway between my house and we were at CDO. And I was like, can you please come pick me up? I'm on call. And never in a million years thought this would happen. Well, and that was the unfortunate thing, and we can get into it a little bit because you also worked in internal affairs, but it was such a small unit, and it kind of needs to be because, mm-hmm. let's face it, you're in everyone's dirty laundry, Yep. <clears throat> so it really is very, very private. I even, like, they got me so spooked, I was, like, even afraid to tell my wife, well, you were in a weird situation because you and your husband both worked on the department, but, like, my wife's a civilian, and right. I still didn't want to tell her about work Yeah. because you're not allowed to. No. Um, but the downside to it being such a small and compact unit is that when something would happen, typically everybody had to go, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. totally sucks. Yeah. I mean, sometimes, depending on what it was, you could get away with, um, like Brad Couch. Brad Couch? Mm-hmm. Jeff Couch. Mm-hmm. Motor guy. Motor yeah, guy. Yeah, Jeff Couch. Responded to a call over by Palaverde High School where these two pit bulls mauled this old man and his little lap dog. And we're still circling him when Jeff showed up. And Jeff ended up shooting and killing both of those pit bulls right in the street. And it was me, Brian Peasley, and Desio was our lieutenant at the mm-hmm. time. Just the three of us right. showed up on that one. Yeah. But most times it was an officer-involved shooting, an officer or in-custody death, right. uh, something horrific. And mm-hmm. everybody had to go. Yep. And so... Um, yeah, whatever it was on that Saturday, probably an officer-involved shooting or yeah, something. And I don't you remember. came and picked me up and drove me home. Yeah. <laughs> I totally <laughs> forgot about that. That's hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, so that, nothing, I mean, you know, just general crazy Team 2 stuff. I mean, mm-hmm. they all kind of run together. I mean, yeah. you could be working as as to you only. You could be working a robbery, a homicide, yeah. and a stabbing will come out. And you just somehow get used to that. Yes. To those calls and managing them and you just, it is what it is. Well, and they kind of, they kind of, I mean, whatever forces or strategy or tactics you're going to apply to this applies to this, applies to this. And they kind of, but one of the things that I don't imagine your and my sergeants when we were young little kid cops did as much as maybe you and I had to do as lieutenant sergeants and lieutenants is calling the public back. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so... I think it it helped that I was in internal affairs because when I'm out on the street and they're like, people are calling and they're pissed off because they're not getting a cop. Right. So there I am as the force sergeant, as a lieutenant. It's like, hey, Mr. McDonald, I understand that someone burglarized your bicycle from your carport. I have four cops and they're currently on a missing person, a drive-by shooting, and a rape. So I think you and I can agree that that is probably the best use of the limited resources that I have. And I'm very sorry your bike was taken, but as soon as I can get someone to you, mm-hmm. I will send them. And they're like, thank you for calling me yep. back. Yep. I didn't realize things were that crazy out there, but yes, the the cops 
clearly need to be at those other things. Right. Thank you for calling. Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't think... No, And, no. and maybe it's just because our, our sergeants didn't share that with us as little baby cops driving around taking we calls. We didn't have calls holding for 24, 36 hours like... True. I mean... That's true. It, it just wasn't a thing. It, I mean, it could right. have been, but I mean, I think Como had the capacity back then too to make those phone calls and say, hey, this just isn't happening today. You can go to right. a station or you can call tomorrow. Yeah. As a sergeant and as a lieutenant, I was... I was good at being a used car salesman. Oh, yeah. Because you're trying to get buy-in to help them realize why it sucks that no cop is coming. Yeah. Or, hey, you can report it online right now. If all you need is the case report number to get your insurance to pay for whatever it is, here you go. Okay, great. And you could cancel that call. Yeah. Yeah, I spent a lot of time doing that. And I think um, now that I work with some other, you know, prior law enforcement people that they're surprised to hear that that was a big part of my job even 10 years ago. Yeah. And, um... I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, no, this is what we do. Like, you would spend hours on the phone just making those calls just to let people know we're not going to make it, and I don't know when, so you're better off either driving to a station or reporting online. And so, I mean, I hope that they get some reprieve and they're able to do that better because, it, you know, I mean, nothing's worse. You're on the phone with one of these complainants, and then something pops off, and you do need to start paying attention as soon as that tone goes. Right. Well, and, you know, after I retired, I remember I still follow, like, TPD Facebook or whatever. And they had at one point, I think I was only retired maybe a year and they posted an ad about they were hiring. Mm -hmm. And so I shared it. And then one of my very good buddies who I was real good friends with on the department. um, Mm -hmm. He's like, why the F would you even share that? (laughs) He's like, what a bunch of BS. And I said, I understand that you're frustrated. But you and every other man and woman who's currently working there deserves to have the most qualified people apply. A hundred percent. To make your jobs easier. Yeah. And so that's why I share it. Because I am more concerned for you and your safety and the overall, you know, like if you lower hiring standards, that's when you start to have some of the internal affair drama and some of the national media drama where... Well, if I used to always say, I'd rather have five well-qualified people than try and pack a room of thirty or forty, just to get the the bodies through the door. Right. You're just asking for for drama if mm-hmm. you do that. Oh yeah. If you just are satisfied to get the five to ten well-qualified who are going to go on to do right by the department, do right by the public, do right by themselves, that to me is more critical. Oh, yeah. Then we we hired 40. We got 30 through. We're hoping they turn out okay. Mm-hmm. No, that's not a great way to do business. Not mm-hmm. when you're talking about everything that's at stake, whether yeah. it's life and death or doing stuff that we talked about this off air, doing stuff that is just so heinous that um, it makes all the other men and women who do this job for the right reasons, do the right things for the right reasons, even when nobody's looking, look horrible. Oh, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, there was times and maybe you'll, you'll be able to, I'm sure you can appreciate this. There was times working in internal affairs where I was absolutely embarrassed to be a part of that agency because of the things that a few people did that were just so outlandish. You couldn't believe it. No, you, know? you can't even make it up. No, no. And yeah. And it's, it's so, it's so far out of the realm of comprehension for yes. a normal human being and their ethics and their morals to think that anyone could even just go there in the first place and let right. alone a cop who's taken this oath of service right. to be honorable and to handle right. themselves. Yes, it is a double standard, but yes, you do have to follow the rules. You do have right. to be better than 
average Joe. Right. I, I do agree with that. And yeah, and then just to violate it in every shape of and stretch of the imagination is right. It's absurd. Just yeah. And it's sad because it's it's in any category of any society, any any social group is that no one ever wants to be painted with a broad brush. No. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And so uh, you know, so many times over my career where I was where I was. Yep. I don't want to say victim. I was going to say where I fell victim to that, but no, 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 that's, I don't ever want to be a victim, but God dang, you know, if you're, you're out there and you just want to be honorable and you want to Mm -hmm. protect and you want to serve and you want to do all those things. And then to have some idiot, whether it's in our city or some other city somewhere else, do something that's just so heinous that it it shocks your conscience as a cop who's seen everything. And like you said, I just can't even believe it. Nope. Um, And then to get drawn into that same, like, oh, yeah, you're one of them. No, 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 no. no. Oh, I know. I felt a lot of that. um, Taking a lot of pride and a lot of energy to get to where I am, and that will never happen. Right. Never happen. Well, I think the worst part, I think we saw this in 2020. um, You know, I had a really good friend, still have a good friend. We were roommates for a while and so forth, and uh, very well-educated, but, and very liberal, which I appreciate and I yeah. respect, yeah. Um, knew a lot of my cop friends. And um, and he started, you know, doing a lot of posting on social media and, you know, trying to take the, the standpoint of being a warrior for all this injustice, right, and then painting law enforcement as a whole in this broad um, brush, as you reference. And so finally I called him, actually I FaceTimed him and because it's in COVID. And so he actually wasn't in New York City any longer. He had gone up to a, they had rented an Airbnb or something up in like Maine or something where, or upstate New York where they're on like a farm basically, mm. you know, getting respite from the city because that whole situation was bad. I mean, yeah. so many deaths and, you know, refrigeration trucks full yeah. of bodies and things How like that. How blessed Horrible. that they even have, that that's even an option yeah, they just they would they got out and left. But right. anyways, I FaceTime him with a bunch of goats in the background of all things, and I was like, "You continuously are like putting this rhetoric out there, and um, and uh, about this." And I go, "Which one of the officers that you know, including myself, have done any of these things?" Right. Well, you know, it's more about how New York City or whatever, and I'm like, "Okay, but but also like I understand that you may have witnessed some of these things, these atrocities, whatever it might be." But, like, you literally are putting me and 800 of my brothers and sisters in the same light. And yeah. you know a good portion of these people that I am that I know, that I'm close with. Which one of us have ever done anything like that? And it literally was like, well, I hope none of you have. But I was like, seriously? Like, we're at that now? And, you know, it took us a couple years to talk again because right. it was just... It was like I had I, similar conversations yeah, with some of my really, really good so friends. So unfortunate because I mean, I agree. I nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. Yes. Um, but I mean, and we also recognize that sometimes we're gonna be painted in that same light, but step back a, a minute and just know the people that I mean, because when you say all cops suck, yeah. Well, you've known me for 30 years. Yeah. Like I suck too. Like, what yeah. does this mean? And so I didn't mean to go all political no, this, but no. it's but it is one of those things like, yeah. you know, when you talk about internal affairs and some of the things that are alleged and then actually come actually happened. Yeah. It's it yeah. it is shocking to the. And when you start to look into it, they actually become true, and you're like, "What the frick?" Yeah, every every sign points to this actually happened, and right, and yeah, and not understanding how someone can go from A to Z and they skipped over B, C, D, and E, right. F, G, 
um, is always shocking too. So, right. well, yeah, no, I won't even. We'll talk about that off. Yeah, off air. But yeah. Um, so then you're eight to eighteen, and you do that. Like, how long are you in the field before you move out of patrol? Um, shoot, two and a half years. Because yeah. I, yeah, I did a year in Team Two. Um, which was, I have a funny story about one last oh, yeah. one. And it's yeah. like I say, these are mostly employee stories just because. Yeah. Um, so I had an officer who I inherited mm-hmm. from a previous sergeant who had some issues, um, alcohol issues, and was on a conditions of continued employment. And Wait, um, Grab your phone and move it to the center real quick. I want to see if that makes a difference. Do you hear that static? Oh, yeah. Was it picking up the feedback? I think that's what it is. Oh. I think it was Frank Rao or somebody showed me. They took their phone and they went... And just waved it over the recorder and went. Quack. Oh, that's crazy! And so every once in a while I hear it, and then that's why I put my phone down under my leg. Oh, but, yeah, and yeah. I don't even need my phone. Yeah. Um, but anyways, um, <clears throat> so there was this whole situation. Well, I started noticing behaviors, like strange behaviors, like late, forgetting ID card, forgetting a wallet, keys. You know, things that were totally out of the ordinary. Mm. And I only, I only point this out because I know you always ask, like, what's some advice you can give people? And I always, yeah. I always would try to remind my colleagues when I was a sergeant and then certainly my sergeants when I was a lieutenant, like pay attention to these small details because little details, little problems, big details, you know, or big issues become very big problems. So, um, and the compounding effect of little details are ultimately a big problem too. Right. And so like just behavior that this employee had not demonstrated before, like misspellings and reports, not about, you know, not necessarily a big thing, but when you have, three or four months of perfect reports right. with no spelling issues, no things you're kicking back, there's an issue there. And, you know, if their uniform isn't as clean and tidy as it normally been, especially if they're, say, a Marine or a service person who took a lot of pride in their external appearance, right? right. Their gig line is crooked, their boots look like garbage, and you're like, okay, what what's going on? Mm-hmm. So ultimately, I started documenting these things and counseling this employee. Well, lo and behold... That turned into other officers in the division finding out he was keeping book on me. So he had a running list of things that he felt I was violating, if you will, you know, whether if I, Hmm. you know, on Thursdays and Thursdays, because Dave had Fridays off, on Thursdays I had to drop off our kids and make it all the way across town to 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah. They're... Their before school didn't even open until like basically the minute before I could, you know, doing the math for 27 traffic lights and 45 <laughs> minutes in the car. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so if you, we had one misstep in the morning, I was, oh, you know, it's going to be a minute or two late. Yeah. And so anyways, so finally. Um, and he's keeping book of this because you're trying to hold him accountable. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And there were some conditions in that COE. Yeah. Um like he was supposed to go see a counselor once a month. He was supposed to have random drops, even though they're not random when they know they're coming. But, oh, well, like there were some yeah. significant conditions that weren't being upheld because I didn't even know about it when I finally got it. Then it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, like I'm now out of compliance. He's out of compliance. And how am I supposed to make sure he succeeds in order to maintain his employment here? Right. And he's a good officer, great officer. Just surprised they moved somebody along to a different sergeant while they're under conditions of oh, continued employment. Tell me about it. Yeah. Right. And so, um, so yeah, lo and behold, I start holding him accountable for these things. And so he starts keeping book on me. Right. And to the point that one young officer, not young, but very skilled, tenured, good kid was like, Hey, I'm really worried. Cause he wasn't really close with this person, but mm-hmm. some of the other people, 
my year, my my difficult squad the year before, those yeah. old heads were the ones like, hey, you need to be careful. This is what's going on with him. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, oh, hey, look, look at that. A little respect went a long yeah. way. Yes, I got I got these guys who uh, no longer work for me. Getting one fight at Kodak. Yeah, no. here we go. And they're going to protect me. Yeah, hey. Um, and so I went to, uh, the one kid because I was fully aware of the general order that says you can't keep hooking on another employee. Right. right. And so he was really concerned, really upset. Like, Hey, I don't want to get you uh, see in trouble like this. We love having you out here because some of my detective skills did translate yeah. to the field really well. So I was able to advise them on some things that their sergeant, um, who either wasn't there and I was to you only, or just didn't have the job knowledge despite yeah. being a very knowledgeable, um, sergeant. Right. Um, so anyways, so he was like, yeah, I'm really worried. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Hey, I'm like, he had a rookie, so he was already sitting in the passenger seat of my sergeant car. So I pulled up the general order, and I just moved my computer screen over. I'm like, read that. And he looked at me, and he's like, oh, you're smart. Oh, and I was like, yeah, no, he can keep up as long as he want. I'm just going to have to sit here and figure out how many times I'm going to use this geo to discipline him if I have to, ultimately. Right. And he was like, okay, well, I just want to make you protected. So after that, when I had this kid who was really upset about it, he was yeah. a younger officer, like I say, I went and found that employee and I was like, hey, so there's there's a rumor that you are keeping book on me. Is that true? And his face was just mortified. I was like, well, okay, based on your face, why don't you head back to the station now and write your OR. I'll let the lieutenant know that it's coming and um, and that's how we'll deal with it. And he was like, wait, what? And I was like, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead and lay that out there. And um, because I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. He's like, uh, yeah, I was. But yeah, ultimately, like I I realized what you were doing. You're holding me accountable. Once I started making my, uh, you know, my meetings to with the mm-hmm. offsite counselor and so forth, like he's like, no, we're good. I'm like, are we good? Because I'm not going down this again. Like, Otherwise, it's like, you know, it was like yeah. 11 or 12 o'clock. He had six hours. I'm like, you have six hours to get that into the lieutenant right now. Yeah. It was yeah. like, no, we're good. And we yeah. were good. Like, Shit or get off the pot. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm tired of all these little kids yeah. running around worried about me. I don't need people worried about me. Yeah. I can handle myself. And so what? I, long story, that kid ultimately ended up thanking me like a year later for getting him back on track, that oh, he was cool. struggling with alcohol again, that he wasn't being honest with himself. And um and ultimately, like, he needed somebody to hold his feet to the fire to make sure that, you know, because he was going down. And he had a couple other, you know, documented um, alcohol issue type things. And, mm. you know, it, it wouldn't have been his first one, the one that he was in this little issue with for a while. And so, um, and so, yeah, so ultimately, and, you know, we can still talk about this and, and you know, because it's one of those things that I, I would, I was like, hey, I have, I have a new sergeant. I'm going to share our story. I won't use your name. Are you good with that? He's like, yeah, man. And if they want to call me, they can. Uh, and I was like, okay, because cool. I think it's important. Like nobody wants to have those difficult conversations, whether right. it's a subordinate, a colleague, a friend, a brother, a sister. Right. But it's really important if you start noticing certain behaviors that you're, you just have that conversation for them to seek help. And, you know, these, these are the th- thoughts I had like to wrap up our conversation, but things that I wish um, we are getting so much better. And you talk yeah. about struggle well and warrior path. Um, but right. a lot of this can be helped immediately if we just take care of our our brothers and sisters the yeah. way that we would hope they would take care of us and just yeah. have that, that courageous conversation. I don't like that word. I know. <laughs> Uh, I uh, I mean uh, yeah. I call them difficult because they yeah. are they're they're fucking hard and yeah. nobody wants to say like I'm about to not be your friend or I'm right. about to shove this boot up your ass sideways if you don't figure this out right and right. and what better way for most cops is just to have the truth man just be honest and have enough yeah. sack to come to me and tell me hey these are your issues whether it's my 
personal life, whether it's behavior at work, whatever it is, but don't don't do me dirty on the backside. Right. Be nice to my face and then screw me over on the backside. Like right. I can handle a honest conversation. Don't give me these superfluous roundabout terms of how things are. I really hope you get to go too. I know it's difficult because there's just not a lot. There aren't enough women for Warrior Path. Yeah. yeah. I've been on the list and I I think it was, I went and volunteered after I left you last time down oh, cool. there. And then shortly after I had an opportunity to go in March, but it wasn't going to work with, um, uh, it was during our daughter's spring break. And I, you know, I don't, uh, I see her three times a year now, whatever. Yeah. So I wasn't giving up that time with her yeah. as much as I would benefit from going. I know. Path. I just, I brought up their website last week because mm-hmm. I was, I wanted to look at the dates that they have available. Cause I want to go down. I want to oh, go yeah. volunteer oh, now yeah. that I've been there and been a part of it. I um, went before doing that. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, <laughs> no. yeah. Well, so, a lot of them were weekdays, which is crazy. It's too hard for me to do that with and the schedule. And then even a weekend wouldn't be bad. Although I did tell you the dire straits that I'm in, trying to get people through the door. Uh, oh yeah, to keep doing episodes. You just need uh, to wait till the summer. We have more time. <sighs> I know. Yeah. Well, and what, was that you that said that? Or no, I was watching something earlier. It says, "Don't wait until life gets easier and isn't so hard to." to do what you want to do. And I was like, Ooh, that really resonates with me because, you know, it's like when you, you hear people that are like, yeah, we're going to get married, but then, you know, when we get this, this and this, and then we'll have children. If you wait for things to be perfect. Yeah. They'll never be perfect. Right. So you, sometimes you just need to like step out. Mm -hmm. And, and I was kind of like that with the podcast too. I was like, Oh, you know, maybe I'll wait for this. No, 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 no. Even if it sucks. And even if it is like stressful and painful, and it's not entirely the best, you know, quality or blah, blah, whatever. You just got to get started and yeah. then figure that stuff out as you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know? No, for sure. I, I can agree with that more. I mean, yeah. again, I am the same person that just jumps in with both feet and says, fuck it, let's go. So. Well, yeah. I mean, and sometimes, you know, it's that's the best way. It's like right when you're mid to late spring and it's about to be summer and you're trying to decide, is can I get in the pool or not? Well, what's the best way? You're going to dip a toe in? <laughs> no, just No, go. or you won't get in the pool. You just jump yeah. in and it shocks you for a second and yeah. then you just go. Um, so I'm sorry, you said patrol for what, a year, two and a half years? Is that what you said? Yeah, 2013 to 2015. Yeah. And then what? Uh, then I went to homicide. Well, I went to team four for a while. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tie in the Colbertson story really quick. Oh, yeah. Um, I had an officer who, um, was called to what was described in the call text as, um, maintenance found resident DOA um, and ultimately she was alive, but. Oh, geez. Yeah. And yeah. So like an apartment maintenance, people went into an apartment, thought they yeah, found but a it was dead right lady. Next to, it was right next to the um, assisted living over off of River Road. Okay. There's an apartment complex and across the little like residential street, if you will. Oh, I think I know where you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Kind and, of first-ish. Yes. Okay. And so um, that whole situation, but I was getting called in to get interviewed and I can't really talk about the details because yeah. we just went through the lawsuit and I don't know if it's going to come back or not again. Okay. So, but um, anyways... Colbertson and I kind of coexisted. He had rotated out of motors, getting ready to retire. And so we kind of just coexisted, but, you know, whatever. Because like I said, he was the mean guy, right? Yeah. And um, and so I, uh, he was like, hey, what happened with that? Because he initially got the complaint phone call, if you will. And he was uh, like, oh, no, this isn't me. That's her. She's in a meeting. I will send it over there. Um, So he kind of had to manage that. And so he's like, hey, meet me at the station. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, I got to head downtown to get interviewed. He's like, yeah, I know. That's why 
I want to meet with you. And I was like, okay. And he played such an instrumental role as far as being like an older tenured sergeant and a big brother. Like, these are your rights. Do you want me to go with you? I can rep you. Do not let them do this. Do not them somehow make this about, like, it was so great because I never really had a sergeant, you know, that wasn't my friend advocate for me in a manner so I could self-advocate. So I knew kind of what to expect because, I mean, I had very little experience with internal affairs as an officer or detective. same. And um, so going in as a potential focus, like he was really concerned. Yeah. And um, and Steve had, at that point had been on for probably close to 30 years. So had been, you know, around a lot. And being mm-hmm. a motor sergeant, you get exposed to internal affairs a lot. And so, um, so yeah, so I, he knew what to look for and, and just to keep me. And then, you know, it was one thing after I was down there for a while, he showed up down there to make sure I was okay, which – Really grateful for ah, because cool. I never would have expected that from him. Yeah. Um, kind of a gruff dude. Yeah, super gruff. And, yeah. you know, but once you got into his little circle, then you understood. It was like, oh, that's just his salty exterior. He's actually right. a really good dude and will take, and he takes care of his people and, and those he actually gives a shit about, which <laughs> I I was glad to see I was in that in yeah. that range because I didn't, you know, like I said, I just was like, I just stayed clear to him. I, was, I didn't want to go to motor school, two-week mm. road school with him because he seemed scary. And yeah, but hmm. even though I like all the tough, the tough eggs, like they're my favorite to crack. So you went over to team four? Yeah. So um, Chad was promoted to captain and went uh-huh. sent to team four and he had a sergeant that was driving from the far northwest side over to team uh, four okay. and I was driving from the far northeast side all the way to team two. Yeah. And um. I think it was just an opportunity to kind of make things easier for people. And um, Diana was going over there, too. Mm -hmm. And Diana never really worked that much together around each other, but we knew each other. And when we've had to do stuff, we got along. And so so she was like, yeah, I'd love for you to come out here, too. Chad called me like, hey, come out here and do this. I was like, okay. Yeah. So it was, I mean, literally, when I say 27 traffic lights, I'm not lying. Yeah. Because there was no way to get from where... Yeah, we lived. It's all awesome, the way. isn't it? it? Yeah, it was amazing, amazing. Yeah. Kind of like when you're coming from your house to my house, Oregon Trail. <laughs> I did not get dysentery this time. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like but yeah, so I went to Team Four for mm. a short time. It ended up being like October-ish to August or something like that. Oh. So. So, yeah, so that was good. I mean, because weird stuff happens, as you know, in Team 4. It does. Things you don't expect. Like I alluded to, you could handle, you could have a robbery, a stabbing, a homicide, a shooting victim, whatever, in Team 2, and it just kind of works. Yeah. And then Team 4 midnights or late, late, late swings, it was 19 to zero five. Oh. Yeah, terrible. Yeah, that's not um, great either. Uh, yeah, I had like a missing, two missing 17, 18 year olds in the desert because somebody jacked the rock quarry caterpillar dump truck and monster mm. truck their bonfire. And when mm. I say monster truck, they literally drove over a truck that was parked next to the bonfire and oh, all geez. the kids scattered. Oh, yeah. Wow. So then I have like this missing kid and, I, and they didn't, they were certain they were 18, but they could have been 17. So I had a juvenile, you yeah, know, and I was like, which, yeah, bumps it up. Yeah. I was like, can somebody, and this is like, December, so it's freezing. So, and I don't know if they're injured or not. You don't, right. you know, yeah, li- yeah. So I was like, can I get the robbery, stabbing, and homicide yeah. all at one time? Yeah, because right. I don't even know what to do with this. Yeah, like this is happening. So, hmm. and and how long did you stay in Team Four? You said mm, like eight months. Yeah, yeah. And I then st- you went to homicide. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know you were in homicide. Yeah. Yeah, I started, um, the sergeant, she was getting ready to retire, mm-hmm. so um, they decided to 
be a little proactive with that and pick the replacement in June. So I started covering, basically doing double duty from June right. to August when she finally retired, which I was working nights, so that sucked. Yeah. Um, one day a week I would go down to the office and learn the office stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And doing mm-hmm. all call-outs. It was a lot of fun. It's a patrol and homicide? Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd be pulling in my driveway in uniform at 2 a.m. because then I went to 1602 so I could have mm. better days off. Um, and literally running in my house because I'm getting the phone call at 2.15 or whatever that there's a homicide changing and leaving and not coming home until 2, 3, 4 o'clock or sometimes just going right back to Code 14 to start my patrol shift. Mm. It was rough. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was rough times, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so... And then how long were you in homicide? Just a year because Diana went down as the lieutenant of violent crimes at the same time. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, she she chose me to go homicide with her. And then we went and no one else put in for it, but whatever. <laughs> no, no, no. Whatever. No, you were select. You were hand selected. There you go. Yeah, don't, don't make it sound like less than it is. I will tell you that Wakefield was quasi interested in it. And uh-huh. he was like, when I went to talk to them, they made it very clear that they were, they were interested in you. And I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah. I guess we'll see how this goes. Um, You're funny. No one else put in for it. Nobody else did, but it was me uh-huh. by default. Um, yeah, I spent like, I mean, if you count the time that I was shadowing and going to every single call out and spending one day a week in the office. Yeah. Um, like just over a year. Yeah. So short time because then Diana thought she was doing me a solid by dragging me down to internal affairs with her because she wanted me to test for lieutenant. Yeah. yeah. In retrospect, no. It was the worst move for me ever. Well, and I, I, I say it jokingly, and it's not a joke, is that three and a half years in internal affairs, I think my body chemistry changed. Like I was a different individual as a result of my experience there. The high levels of cortisol and stress mm-hmm. for such a long period of time yep. were just not healthy, mm-hmm. not good. And I don't know how anybody can be in that assignment as a sergeant investigator or as the lieutenant or captain and not like I mean, those don't. Not a single one of those investigations were personally impacted me. You know, like I never thought I was going to lose my job. Right, I was right. never the one that was involved in a shooting. I was, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But it's still personally impacted. Still a lot of stress. Still a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of weight. Yeah. You know, and so there were some folks in there, Marco. I always give Marco the credit because he just seemed like water off a duck's back. Like it, he just didn't seem personally affected by right. the job. And I just. Ugh. Yeah, like I couldn't let it just roll off like that. And so, um, yeah, I hated that job. How long did you have to stay there? Two, I did two and a half years. I basically had to promote out of there, basically. That's why I tested for lieutenant. Mm-hmm. I didn't really necessarily want to be a lieutenant, but I got to a point where I felt like I was. Not, they weren't going to let me leave unless I promoted out. Right. And so I tested, did pretty well. And then they let me go. And I went out to the academy for like 10 months and then got promoted. Right. Right. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed mm-hmm. homicide. Like, you know, I had a lot of, um, I had the crazy <laughs> officer involved shooting where the guy shot the guns through the ceiling huh. um, a whole bunch of times. He was mentally ill and shooting at cops through his off of um, Roger right behind the target on Oracle. Uh. But he ended up shooting, I think, um, once we put the trajectory rods, because there's no other way to illustrate the yeah. number of times that he shot through the roof. Right. Um, like, you know, over 200 times. God. Oh, yeah. 
I had a now Sergeant Brita Hoff. He was a he was a detective, and they came out to help the scene because I basically had four different scenes I was working. Like it was a catastrophic mess of mm. a scene, and um, he's on the roof, and he's like, well, "You know, how are we gonna do this?" I was like, "I don't know. Let's, let's make it look like a porky. Like, how can we illustrate the dangers oh, yeah. that happened here?" Yeah, and um, and yeah, it was pretty funny because did you run out of trajectory. Rise? We did, yeah. yeah ultimately, yeah, because they break down. You know, they're like almost like uh, tent poles. Tent poles, yeah. exactly, and so. Yep. So it was crazy, but it was a really great way for the news. You know, we didn't get a lot of backlash because of that, because it was a real, like, a perfect way to illustrate so people could understand the dangers of those rounds going through that ceiling and they landed somewhere. Yeah. And the numbers, just the sheer volume of them. Right. So had that, you know, that was a crazy scene. And I mean, just what goes with homicides and after all shootings, like. Just never ending. Well, and homicide, officer-involved shootings, and then internal affairs, it's like hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Do you want to be the criminal side or the admin side? Yeah. You know? um, but otherwise, all on the same scene. Yeah, it was know? really great because um, Marco was my partner in there, and so, um, and we split call out every other week. So mm-hmm. for homicides and ag assault, we just kind of covered them yeah. as one violent crime as kind of the... Um, the way that it was going at the time. And so it worked really well for us. So on the OISs, he really enjoyed um, the interviews and the admin portion of it, which yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I'd much rather let the evidence lead me to my conclusion by working a scene because yeah. I'll be, I didn't, you know, I was only a detective for two and a half years, but I did work with some really, really highly skilled detectives. And, yeah. you know, um, Kevin Hall was my sergeant in home invasion who had just mm-hmm. left homicide. So he and he was he is a really good teacher yeah. of that craft, um, and especially back then, being fresh out of it. And so, yeah. you know, I feel like I had a lot of good exposure and experience, yeah. um, and lessons taught to me as far as like scene processing. And I enjoyed it, yeah. and I learned a lot from that crew because they were all highly skilled detectives. And um, you know, there's a, just a lot to go from that. And well, so. let's face it, you know, amongst t- amongst police departments, and then amongst detectives, like. Robbery, ag assault, and homicide are the big show. Like right. that's the ones Typically. that where mm-hmm. people want to go, you yeah. know. And so, yeah, you do got to be cream of the crop and the rock stars to to get there. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think that that would be exciting. It would almost be like being a sergeant in charge of a, a group of rookies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everybody's but highly skilled and still super um, excited and and motivated to do. Uh, not just a great job, but a phenomenal job because right. there's a lot of detail mm-hmm. that go into those proving, disproving, yeah. even uh, answering the unasked questions. Because a lot of right. times you're you're trying to investigate the homicide, but also shut down any potential argument for why the individual that you have in, in handcuffs is without a doubt the person. Right. Yeah. You know, and you're doing all that in these frequently moving and evolving situations, which is just insane. Yep. It's crazy. Oh, no. So. Yeah, one of uh, one of our scenes, um, the poor gentleman was killed by a family member, but it was a quasi-hoarder house where mm-hmm. there were bed bugs. And mm. so uh, we knew that. Did like, you burn your clothes as you walk out? No, I made, I made, luckily it was in, it was like Black Friday, so the day after Thanksgiving, so I made mm. everybody wear Tyvek suits. And so bunny suits, which was not a popular decision, but also, right? Yeah, your luckily job not is a, hot out. Yeah, luckily. I mean, our job as a sergeant is risk mitigation. And if yeah. I know this is a possibility, I have to save ultimately them and themselves, right? Yeah. But also their families, their homes, and the city from having to fumigate their houses in the future or try to right. mitigate that issue if they were, God forbid, to take any of those home with them. So, 
Yeah, we uh, <laughs> we were sitting there in our nasty buddy suits processing a hoarder house scene for a homicide, which was unfortunate. But the best part is I was in another room, and Frank Hansen at the time was in that unit before he went over to Internet Crimes Against Children. And all of a sudden I hear him like, I got one running. And I was like, how did they miss somebody in this house? I'm like mm-hmm. freaking out, go running towards his voice because I don't know really where he is. And he had one of the blood lights out. Um, it would pick up bodily fluids and things oh, yeah. without the special glasses. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it, so it would pick up the bed bugs because they're full of blood. Yeah. And it was like running on the chair. And I was uh, like, hey. oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. We were talking about someone um, whose family passed away. Um, and when I went to go testify just recently on a seven-year-old friggin' murder trial, um, that gentleman was there. And then Frank Hansen was there and a couple other people. But mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kelly Pike. Yeah. Yeah. So. Bringing yeah. the old crew. Yeah. So it was a short-lived time in the homicide. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, it basically, um, Diana thought she was helping out because, you know, right. some stuff going on in our family situation and, mm. and so forth. And so my kids were always concerned. It was the first they really had with my phone ringing all the time. And yeah. so, and Diana being a, a, a good advocate for employees was concerned that, you know, because I had me- I made the mistake of she's like how are kids handling call and I was like actually it hasn't really impacted them at all they get a little weirded out when my phone rings like in fear that I'm gonna leave and because um, your phone rings a lot in those assignments right. and so she was like oh well, I'm gonna sn- hair snatch you down to internal affairs with me that'll be easier because your your overtime and your call out is a little there's a little more control over it in the sense that there's other people that could potentially respond or right. or, or it could be scheduled out a little bit little easier does she know. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, that was the one and only time I think I was ever on call out. And I developed a really funny habit. And my wife jokes with me now because I'd be laying there. I know. And the phone would go off. And the first thing I'd do is I'd jump out of bed and I'd go, no. And I'd yell at the phone. And then I'd pick it up and I'd run into the bathroom, shut the door and turn on the light. And so now like... Fast forward, you know, my phone will ring and she's like, no, she'll yell. So funny. <laughs> but oh, it, yeah. it, it is an mm-hmm. adverse thing, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, you know, because mm-hmm. what's the implication? Yeah. Let your mind run crazy. Yeah. Especially in internal affairs. Yep. Yep. When that phone rings in the middle of the night. The, Nothing it, good. No. It's not a good what's phone call. What's implied is horrible. So, um, and we can't even talk about really any of those cases. So no. that's good. Like. Yep. So what, you said two and a half years and then you got promoted to lieutenant? Yeah, then you finally retired after threatening to retire and I was waiting for you to retire because I sat on that list. <laughs> I was waiting to find another job. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just had to wait for somebody to offer me Basically, a Basically, I was told in August of 18 I was going to be promoted to lieutenant and then I had to wait until January of 19 when Brian finally left in yeah. order to get promoted. That's when I dropped. That's when I left. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, you're well. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you're you. You're welcome. I'm thank glad I could help you, you out. Yeah, then uh, I went down to team one as a uh, one Charlie two. Yeah. So, so yeah, which is good. I really enjoyed being back in patrol. I I always yeah. like getting out in the fresh air and being part of. Right. That. And in that division, I mean, I loved that division. I only worked Midtown as a motor and then kind of quasi as force. As a bike cop, you weren't a motor. Or a bike, sorry, bike cop. I was like, wait, what? Not motor, bike cop. So as a bike and as, you know, kind of quasi as force, but um, for the most part, Team One is mm-hmm. where I did most of my patrol stuff. And so, yeah, it's a great division to work in. Yeah, I loved going down there because I had never really worked down there, but um, I knew a lot of people down there from over the years and so yeah. forth. And 
um, Louis Hernandez and I had done this crazy EXO deployment training. And uh, yeah. it's so funny that I'm sitting, I was just sitting there and this kid's telling me, literally a kid, like, you know, two or three years on, telling me the story about how some training happened and this girl did this and that. And I was like with Louis and I was like, that was me. Like, wait, Louis. So I went and found him. I was like, are you telling people that story? He's like, Jen, was killer how you did that. Because <laughs> like basically my gun jammed, right? Oh. In the EXO deployment, the yeah. first one at TEP. Yes, and I that tried was 2000. To, yeah, I tried to clear the malfunction, and I couldn't. And so I just I went in and addressed the threat and hit the dude in the head with my gun. And There you go. Um, yeah, so but it was just crazy. Uh, I mean, yeah. whatever, but I was like, well, i got to eliminate but, this threat, so here we again, go. I would prefer that than the opposite, which when we did that training, it was the first time that we did extraordinary deployment active shooter training. Right. And it was kind of in response with to... With force on force. Yeah, it was kind of mm-hmm. like in response to like Columbine yep. and some of that stuff. And there were officers on our agency who were like, I don't get paid enough to do this. This is a SWAT issue. Oh, yeah. And and not even, no qualms about it. And so for the rest of us who are young and meat eaters, we're like, uh, excuse me? Two bodies in a room. You know what I mean? As soon as, if you're there by yourself, as soon as a second cop shows up, what are you waiting for? Right. You go. Yep. To the sound of gunfire. Yep. And do whatever it takes once you get there. Yep. Even if it means you got to hammer fist them with a freaking pistol. <laughs> but again, yeah, like, I don't have any problems with that. Yeah. No, no. you know. Oh, no. So. Yeah, it was a, a fun, fun day. But yeah, so, the, so you know, it was one of the one places I didn't feel like I had to, you know, jump through another hoop to get any yeah. respect because luckily there were some old heads that were there that knew me for years who were able mm. to say like, oh, she's good to go. She's She's good. Um, so that was fun. I mean, that's cool. I remember like a funny story. I mean, I dealt with a lot of funny stuff down there in general, just weird stuff. But I was on my way home, heading east, and met like Broadway and um, or Kino and Twenty Second, yeah, Cherry Bell actually. And a call comes out about somebody in the roadway, you know, wandering. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'll, I'm here. Right. I'm here. All right, I, you know, send me that call. I got it. So literally, I get out, find the person. I'm putting them in handcuffs, and they're trying to call me on the radio. Well, I don't answer because I'm literally putting someone in handcuffs. They tone up, and I hear cars coming code three. And so I get on the radio once I have them cuffed. Mm-hmm. Super bitchy because I'm pissed. Right. I was like, is that a tone for me? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, shut that down. And anyone coming code three, shut down. Right. Like, I'm code four. And, and I was like, what? And so Kyle Wilson calls me. He's like, hey, you don't have to get so mean on the radio. We're just worried about you. I'm like, worried about what? You gave me two and a half seconds. Right. And it wasn't a long time. Like, I would own it. And he was like, well, you didn't answer. I'm like, I'm on the roadway. I don't wear an earpiece because I'm an old lady lieutenant. So I keep my radio in my belt. Oh, like, geez. come on. Like, give me yeah. a, you know, give me a break. I would have heard you in a minute and I would have right. let people know what I was doing, but I didn't have an opportunity. I had to get this person in cuffs and out of the road, like right. whatever. And, you know, another time I was on my way home, uh, on my way to get my taxes done, actually, because as a lieutenant, you're salaried. So mm-hmm. you can, yeah. you have a little bit of leeway right. um, with your schedule. And um, I'm driving and a foot pursuit happens right in front of me. So, yeah, I got to spring forth right there. Yeah. And then the guy. Yeah. Vomits on my boots, so it, uh, it's fun walking into your tax appointment. Like, hey, I'll be right back. Sorry about this. If you get smell, a hose, if you smell vomit, <laughs> luckily uh, he was a retired firefighter, so he was uh, good with bodily fluids in that sense. So. That's funny. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So yeah. All right, and then oh well, so you were, but how long were you in Team One? I got like a couple of questions that we can use to wrap up, but 
Uh, again, we've already been here for a long time. I but know. you were in Team One for how long as a lieutenant then? Uh, let's see here. I got the I January in July. I got the distinguished pleasure of covering for SWAT and bombs. Oh yeah, yeah. For a whole month. Mm. So that was a long month. I I think I. Uh, yeah, and no extra pay. No extra pay, and so. uh, I was out on I think salary, close to twenty callouts with SWAT and bombs. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's your honor to to work as much as they need. Yeah, yeah. And then I was cover- I was acting captain during that month for like a week when my captain was on vacation or something or out of town. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so it was like acting captain, SWAT commander, and a team one commander. Where I was like, this is a spot call out. We're about to shoot this guy. Which which role do I take today? Because this mm. is a lot of fun. We all ultimately right. didn't shoot him, but yeah, it was it was all good. It was great. <laughs> yeah, so much and, fun. And how long did all that go on for? I'm sorry. Um, let's see here. Then I got moved to SRD, so I had spot bombs and arson mm-hmm. from full time from October. So basically I was in team one for ten months. Yeah. But had like triple duty in July. Of 2019. But at some point you were, went over and you were the PIO too, yeah? Yeah, I didn't. I got moved in April of 2021. Okay. So you got to stay down in SRD for a while then. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was good. Well, that, I mean, aside from all the call out and not getting paid I for love, it. But... I love call out. Yeah. And I could get, I, you could call me today <laughs> and tell me I have call out and I would hop out for free. I love uh, call out. Well, you kind of are working for free. You stayed on as a reserve, you knucklehead. Yeah, um, well, kind of. <laughs> kind of. I did it for, and I learned my lesson pretty quick and then I got out of it. Um, so what makes you decide to just finally to be done? You know, it's a combination of things. Um I had realized that I had spent the last seven years of my career on 24-7 call-out. And I'd been told, make yourself continuously uncomfortable, challenge yourself, do these assignments that are hard. Right. You know, make sure that, you know, you continuously challenge yourself and don't skate by. And I realized after seven years of 24-7 call-out and very difficult assignments, like not only for personal growth, right. but also professional growth. Um, my, you know, my marriage sacri- was sacrificed because of that. Yeah. Um, my kids definitely felt it when like, you could ask your almost adult child who you you thought you were doing a really good job with and, and still did a good job with. Like yeah. we did a really good job with her. Um, when you asked her about like a memory or a birthday or something and all she remembered is you being on call out. Um, those things really hit you a different right. way. Right. And, um, being good professionally is rewarding. Um, but you know, like, like Frank Rouse said, Hey, Brian, ask me if I was over invested. Frank, were you over invested? He's like, funny you should ask. You know, yeah, I was over invested. Right. You know, um, some of those other things go by the wayside and why you think you're doing a good job. And ultimately we are providing very well right. for our families. Yes, hundred percent. But you still can't help but have some guilt or some, I wish I would, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I missed, you know, I made it to as much as I could. Our kids were really amenable and super, you know, they adjusted really well. I mean, shoot, we've got kids that are addicted to methamphetamines and they're thriving adults now, right? Like right. kids are resilient. Yeah. But our kids shouldn't have to be at the cost of our job. Right. And it is just a job. And I think 
the realization of, you know, like I say, those hard years and my kid didn't remember, um, our son didn't remember a time when my phone would ring and I didn't have to leave for work either. So not only was some of my daughter's memories were diminished a little bit as far as like, I worked really hard to make sure there was always home cooked food in the refrigerator, whether I was there or not for them to eat, you know, whether I was reheating it or Dave was, or they were once they got old enough, but like that they weren't ever, you know, just living off of frozen meals and things like that. (laughs) And, um, cause that was important to us that our kids ate home cooked meals every night and elaborate birthday parties and things like that, that, you know, I literally was killing myself to make sure that they never had to go without and, you know, and still trying to do the best I could. I can remember at a point, you know, as a Lieutenant and it would have been for, she graduated. So 21, if the FBI National Academy was going to run and we would we had a slot, you know, that would have been my that was my our daughter's last year playing sports and her last year of high school. And so I had to turn it down. Yeah. Like, and that's cuz you're gone for like like a month or No, gosh, right? it's like th- two and a half months or something. Yeah, yeah. So I would have missed virtually all of our daughter's last part of her soccer career, what that looked like and what it'd be. And then you're talking about college visits and things like that at the time. Right. I wasn't going to sacrifice that, but I was the first female full-time SWAT commander the department ever had. Hmm. And I continuously get feedback from those team leaders hmm. that they will tell outside sources that, you know, I was among one of their favorites. Oh, cool. And, um, and, you know, but not that that means anything other than, like, we got along and we did some good work together. And right. it was proactive. I mean, I was really proud of the fact that they go to um, – I don't know if they still do, but I got them to do biannual doc visits because they see they see things at a higher level, but yeah. they're also running at such a high level of performance that is hard on your body. Right. And then that causes mental, you know, issues and, you know, I don't want to say mentally ill stuff, but right. a compromised – you know, your body, your health, all kinds of things go on that you're unaware right. of when you're running that high and you're seeing some of the things and you're putting yourself continuous in really dangerous situations. Right. Um, so that's a really proud accomplishment of mine. One of the things that really, really, I made a very concerted effort not to have a tarnished reputation in our right. department to stay yeah. very, you know, very professional. Yes. Do I say some shitty things sometimes? Sure did, but I'm also a cop. So I go to struggle well, and I'd already been kind of like, something's not right. I don't know what it is. And mm-hmm. seven years, 24-7 call out. And right. I showed up to all of them. I right. missed two call outs. Well, gosh, we can go back to when I was a detective. Right. Detective time, sergeant time, lieutenant time. I missed only two call outs ever. When my phone rang, I went. Yeah. And that that's a sacrifice to somebody, whether it was my health, whether it was my family, whether it was personal relationships. Whatever it was, right, that something has to give during that time. And I did it right. every single time. And um, so I go to Struggle Well where it's like putting these things in perspective. And ultimately I was like, I've got – we've got our son left at home. Like we launched our daughter. She's going to school here shortly. You know, this was in like July I was there. She's going to school. She's leaving the house. And what do I have to show for it? Like she's great. And she's yeah. done really well. But part of that's her personality. And our son was struggling a little bit with attitude and just staying motivated. And he likes to vicariously live close to bad kids. You know, he'll watch from afar. He's always been like that since he was a little guy. Like, Hmm. oh, so-and-so was doing whatever. He just liked to watch it. He never got involved in it. (laughs) Thank goodness. Yeah, no, thank goodness. And But I was like, if I continue down, like we're, you know, we think they're more self-sufficient at this time. And he is. He's doing great in school. He's got a job. They still need their parents. They still need their parents. and. I don't need him going into like PTSD thumb sucking mode because my phone rings like, Oh, are you leaving? And, um, 
And so ultimately I was just like, you know what? It's time for me Good to... Good time to call it. It's I need to maybe make an investment, take a chance on myself again. Right. That's how I ended up in this job, this career for 23 years. Right. Maybe I'll just take a chance myself. So I, I did apply and, and I got hired by a, you know, a, a tech company that was it like, great, like... All right, let's do this. And yeah. I did it. So Deuces. I got, yeah, my job offer came on like August 8th. I turned in my resignation papers on August 9th or my retirement papers on the 9th. And I was gone on the 27th and actually did it from a Kinko's in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Boom. Yeah. 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 My contract, you know, came in with my job offer and I was like, here it is. We're doing this. <laughs> That's good. So. That's good. So, yeah, it was, it was a hard conclusion. And I mean, yeah. But no, and the thing is, and I've said it so many times because I repeat myself a lot on the podcast. Oh, please stop! Um, no, <laughs> I'm just giving a hard time. But um, I do think when, it makes it easier to talk when you repeat yourself more. When uh, people tell me that they've made decisions that ended up being the best decision for their family and maybe not the best decision for their career, then in my mind, their priorities are straight. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, if they do career first, career first, career first and all other things be damned, then there's a couple times over my career, but even now I hope that I would be that voice of reason and say, you're out of whack. Yeah. Your, your priorities are all wicky-whack. You need to take a step back because guess what? After 21 years, when I walked out the door, I was 43051, and guess what? I left on January 2nd. On January 3rd, you were my replacement. Yeah. Probably on the second, you were already my replacement. Mm-hmm. So I never had any... No, because it was a Saturday to Sunday, and I started on the Sunday. They they yeah. allow that little microsecond there yeah. at the beginning As I was, of the hour. You know, I, I always like to joke, I was under no delusion of grandeur that mm-hmm. I was any more important than a payroll number down at City Hall. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, when people tell me, yeah, you know, my wife this, my husband this, my children this, and so for those reasons, I decided to do this. Good. Yeah. Good for you. That's not selfish. No. That's not selfish at all because you've already spent so many so many years being selfless that when it when it came down to it and the decision had to be made, you say it was tough. Well, yeah, it is tough because you do. You spend a lot of time and energy and effort to achieve, and so when you get to that point, you kind of you have to kind of come to terms with, okay, so I'm not going to achieve here, but it's for a for a better cause, for a better reason, for a better purpose, yeah. you know? And so... Well, everybody you know, has like their that. career goals and aspirations, right? Yeah. And um, and I, you know, I found myself probably being far more invested than I needed to be because I had a certain, you know, my eye on a certain a place and where I wanted to go. And I didn't, frankly, I almost, you know... Yeah. I didn't like the person I was becoming. Yeah. Like, well, and I just felt like, you know, people, again, like it came back to that where I had the realization that I had invested a lot of time and energy to, in these professional relationships that turned to some point, you know, profe- or personal because you can't help when you spend right. a lot of time with people to care about their families. Right. I remember when I was, you know, first promoted a lieutenant, I worked with two very senior lieutenants. As long as you know where you lay, where you need to operate yeah. and where you need to be. And so my order of prioritization was captain's needs, mayor and council's needs, people needs, and then whatever special thing I might want to do or try or whatever is always at the bottom, right? Mm-hmm. And people needs could always, you know, depending on the severity right. or what the issue is, personnel always came first. But like, frankly, 
the captain's vision was what needed to be done, and right. they always incorporated people. Yeah. That division is their department. Yeah. So yeah. I literally, like, okay, get all this done. And so we go into our weekly meetings and was like, okay, where are you on this? And it might have been a task for all three of us, and I would have mine done. And finally, right. I'd have a conversation with them and go, this is how I prioritize my work. Like, I will ask for an extension if I have to on an IA package in order to meet this if I can't get this done mm. in time. Like, I'll try it. At least right. there's record of me asking for an extra two or three days. I think if some of that too is like internal affairs. Like we used to have those weekly meetings around the table so we could discuss cases and where yeah, we sure. were. And very early on, I realized you don't want to be at the table a week later and definitely not two weeks later talking about the same yeah. effing case. <laughs> no. Like, do you ever turn anything over or do you just keep malingering on the same one? Oh, yeah. Like, you better have made some significant. Moving it forward, right. if you're going to talk about it one to two weeks in a row, mm-hmm. you know, and so, um, so yeah, so that you fast forward, and that's the thing too. And we talked about this because you said my heart rate and my blood pressure is down. Mm-hmm. I don't drive fast every, everywhere right. anymore, right. and I I think that I had adopted that early on, and. So, and I'll tell you this, and I think I've mentioned on the podcast, I think I've said this before, but... I doubt it. I haven't heard any of this. No, no, no. Like the, but I told you about the caffeine. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, the only thing I can think of is that everything is always urgent all the time. All the time. Everything is an emergency. Yes. Literally. Especially yes. when you get to the rank of lieutenant, because yeah. you get all of these pulling and pushing and pulling um, of priorities, whatever right. it might be, which I love. I do love stress. Like... It's one of the oh, things yeah. that I struggle a little bit with this job now. Well, it's like, I feel like things are just too easy. And then I have yeah. to just go, no, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be right now. Right. I don't need well, any Well, when do we do our best stuff. work? Yeah. When the adrenaline's flying yeah. and the, um, the, uh, the, the, not time limit, but the deadline, the deadline right. is immediate. Yeah. That's when we do our best work is on the fly, when it's sideways, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I mean... I was drinking a lot of caffeine on a daily basis, even after retirement. Yeah. And it wasn't until I went to Boulder Crest that I realized, I think I'm trying to recreate the adrenaline and the level of stress and the anxiety mm-hmm. that I had for oh, yeah. the last four years of my career. And even more so, I mean, because it was internal affairs before that. So even more, probably the last almost 10 years of my career. And uh, very, very proud to say even, I mean, that was the first week of February that I went and Mm -hmm. now we're in April and still just one cup of coffee a day. That's good. Yeah. Nothing more. I never had any of those issues. I did have a, an issue and, and I'll, I mean, this is, goes back to those difficult conversations. I have lots of issues, (laughs) but I did have a really difficult time struggling with that family issue. My issue, divorce. Yeah. Um, I looked fine. People thought I was fine. It, you know, I was totally fine. Um, but I was drinking. And yeah. I had a really good friend um, who was really concerned because I was at year 18, 19 or whatever of my career. And literally she was like, I am not going to sit here and watch you ruin your career this close to retirement. She's like, I don't care about the department, but I care yeah. about you. And right. I care about your retirement and your pension. And all these other things like you and she made an appointment with a counselor outside of the department. And it yeah. wasn't because I wasn't willing to go to Doc Cornell. I yeah. love Doc Cornell. Yeah. Um, it, I just, you know, I was like, I'm fine. Like I'm functioning fine. And she was like, no, you're really not. And she's like, if you don't show up for this appointment that I made for you, I literally will never talk to you again. And it was that level of well, thank honesty. Thank God for friends like that. Honestly. And that's what I say, yeah. like be willing to have those conversations because I thought I was functioning fine. And ultimately I wasn't like, I was still in internal affairs at the time, and 
um, I had an outburst. It was going to be my our daughter's first ber- first birthday that I wasn't going to be with her. Mm-hmm. And I had to go do a virtual shooting, virtual or whatever. I don't play video games. I'm a 40-something-year-old lady. Like, I'm sorry. I'd rather get hit in the face 50 times with a paintball or a right. freaking Sims round than play a video game. Like, it does not work with my brain. And I was a little too honest, right, with my assessment of that in, the, in front of the wrong people. But anyways, yeah. So I think it was just like going back and I don't know if we're still on this question or not. And I feel like I've been rambling. Have those <laughs> difficult conversations with your friends. Love them enough to give them the tough love right. and be willing to drop that relationship. And whatever it is, I don't believe in ultimatums, but sometimes – yeah. You have to corner a cop and put them in that position and get them to do what's right for themselves and their families. Yeah. And ultimately, they will thank you. They'll come around, hopefully. I mean, God forbid. I mean, my time in PIO, which this was the other thing, so not only seven years, 24-7 call out. So basically, anytime I want to have more than one drink at any given point, I had to notify my boss. Right. Right. And towards the last 18 months that I was in PIO, my boss was an assistant chief. Mm-hmm. Um, I never called out. I never did any of that, but I had uh, three suicides or deaths by suicides, mm-hmm. officers, two officers, and one retired officer. I had um, the DEA Amtrak situation, um, culinary dropout, and Walmart that me and my staff had to deal with. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. And it just ultimately it was like... My cup is full and it's yeah. it's full and I need to just take a bet on myself and move on. So yeah. that's what I did. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Some people don't and they stay till they have a heart attack. I always <laughs> promised myself that I would never be that miserable person there. And I yeah. felt like like as as much as I learned in public information, it was not my job. It was not my forte. I had never Right. That was not a place that I wanted to go to. Right. Um and you know, and and frankly, I felt like I'd already done a lot of my proving, if you will. Right. As a lieutenant in Team 1, 20 some odd months in SRD SWAT, where right. it wasn't the easiest. It was a very, there were some really challenging times in there. Right. And then you, I'm now put in another proving position. Like, put a new lieutenant here that can learn stuff. Like, not right. that I couldn't learn, but it wasn't my forte. Yeah. So it wasn't comfortable. Right. And I didn't mind navigating difficult situations, but it, it was, you know, I, it just it was a poor fit. I'm an operational right. person. I like being around a lot yeah. of people and, and right. making hard decisions that a lot of people aren't comfortable doing. And right. um, yeah, so so it wasn't like where I hoped to end my career, but it worked out okay. Worked I think out. so. Yeah. What other You're question here. do you have? We got to wrap this up. Or, book title. Or we need to start drinking. Yeah. Book title. Uh, yeah. This one I've had before. They even knew this was a thing with you. Okay. Uh, the three year rookie. The three year rookie, mm-hmm. and that's why. Um, so this is a book I've always wanted to write. So nobody take my idea here. Um, is that it's right around the three year mark specifically and more, more importantly, men, I think go through this transition more so the women do, but it's about that time where they go from, I'm going to save the world. Everything's great to these assholes. Fuck this place. Fuck that person. Fuck you. The Adam Henry, the old, uh, I think it's Gordon Graham. That was Adam Henry. Yeah. Everybody is an asshole except for your peers. Yep. And then, then you start hating inner squad. So it has right. to be in your squad base right. or whatever. It's exactly at that moment for most most cops. Right yeah. around the three year, they they think yeah. they're going to save the world, and then they realize that everybody's everybody's dressed the same. They just have a different face. So that DV is still the same DV. It's just a different house. It's a different looking person, but it's the same dynamics. What do you think is the best compliment you ever got? Mm. 
I have a couple. Yeah. Um, one time I was doing was doing some administrative stuff during one of my pregnancies for the false alarm stuff, and I had to take this thing I created for um, the false alarm program, and it was uh, Bevgen. And um, so she was our old, one of our legal old legal advisors. Yeah, legal yeah. advisors. And, you know, she was really gruff and rough and kind of difficult to work with occasionally. And um, and she was like, you are too goddamn irreverent to be a cop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, at the time I was offended by it. Yeah. Because I thought, you got to be kidding me. And then when I realized the context in which she was doing it, I was pushing back on something I didn't agree with. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't right for the department. It wasn't right for anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, and ultimately, like I started wearing that with a little more cur, you know, a little more pride. Like yeah. that's a good badge of honor right. to have because somebody has to think of the unintended consequences when we make these, some of these decisions. We can't just make them in a a funnel. We can't just make it with the guy that always agrees with us. Like right. somebody needs to push back so we can think about it. And whether I agreed with something or not. If someone wasn't being the devil's advocate, then I thought it was important to do that and show a little irreverence. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, I was always going to do what I was told to do. Right. I was never going to be insubordinate. Right. But if I didn't agree with something or I thought it was a bad move, especially for our cops, when I got into those leadership roles, I was going to fight it. Yeah. Um, so that was one. And then um, once told by uh, Jimmy Wakefield, you brought his name up earlier, <laughs> that I had a lot of moxie. <laughs> And again, I was slightly offended what by it. What is he, from the 1920s? Hey, I don't know. Hey, bro, I had to actually, I had to go look it up, right? <laughs> and um, She's a dame. And, yeah. uh, and, and again, I was slightly offended. I was like, oh. But then, I, I mean, it kind of goes. Hubris, kind of a little, like. Bold. Little, yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I, Risk taker. You know, he was in internal affairs and I was in homicide. I would have to brief. Um, commanders and chiefs on mm-hmm. the facts and circumstances of the OISs and sometimes right. homicides, depending on what they were. And look, I'm not going to carbon date a casing I found in weeds mm-hmm. because you don't believe that the cop was shot at, like not doing it. Right. Like that's ridiculous. Like suspect had gun. We right. have rounds down range. We have rounds going the opposite range, down range. Like, no, like don't. No, I'm right. not carbon dating a, a a casing because you don't believe that it came out of this guy's gun because it looks old. Like, right. no chief, lawyer, whoever was making that comment. And I would stand up, right, in those things. And so yeah. I guess apparently I have a lot of moxie. I have a lot of moxie. All right. We're going to wrap on this one because I think this is one of my favorite questions. It just kind of came up on the fly, and now I've actually added it to the prompts that I send I, out. You never sent me any prompts, by the way, ever. <sighs> Why I know these? I'm like the stepchild that you never had of podcast. And yet you still came back a second time. I because love it. you totally love it. gave me the sad story that if I didn't show up, that you had nothing. And then I, I mean, and I, yep, I've yep, kind of grown yep, to like yep. you now after oh, cool. all this time we spent well, together. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, aside from you picking me up at the soccer park, I mean, this is this is probably the two longest conversations that we've had other yeah. than that one. So. No, totally. And good. And I enjoy both of them. So as you look uh, like you're falling asleep, but yeah, whatever. No, I'm just hugging the microphone. Yeah. Um, most courageous or heroic thing you think you ever witnessed? Yeah. So I mentioned the fact I had basically four or five cop funerals, mm-hmm. all untimely young people that should have not gone, deaths that I went to, and um, and body movements uh, and moving the body, you yeah. know, whether it's in processions or not. And 
This one hit me because I struggled with this one because when I've heard I've heard you ask it a number of times because I am a loyal follower. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, um, and I also think it helps me stay connected. Long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, I I am really. How do I say it? no? But I also like I'll talk about that in a second. I'm so ADHD sometimes, but um, it it's the honor guard folk who have to stand there with their faces stoic and maintain mm. their composure. For every one of those funerals, and it's That's not just—it's not just our department. Yeah. They go cover funerals for all sorts of other. They go to all those ceremonies, and they do that. And I watched one of the toughest, two really, really tough as nails young women that I really respect, and I've gotten to know over the years. And, do you want to say names or no? Um, sure, yeah. Erica Munoz and Stephanie Law, both in honor guard, and I yeah. watched them stand there. And try to keep their composure together. It's just like talking about them. Yeah. And yeah, Steph worked with me in Team One, and I really like that lady. Watching them fall apart or snagging them, or I was in a position and one of them to be like, we're at the funeral home. I'm like, please go get her. Like, she's, they're not going to do, they cannot do this anymore. This is almost cruel and unusual yeah. punishment at this point because yeah. we don't know what their relationship is with the decedent. Right. And, um, and you think that they're just able to do that. And to think of someone like J.J. Flores, who's been doing it for, I don't know how, in my whole 23 years yeah. that I was there. Yeah. But to do that time and time again for these families and to pay that honor and respect. We have the ability to sit in a pew and cry privately in yeah. our tissues, hold it together, go in our car and have our meltdowns, wherever we do our meltdowns, right? right. Um, but they don't. They have to maintain that. And um, it really hit me. I don't remember whose episode it was. Because I did struggle for a while, like when I was like, oh, when is he going to ask me this question? He's going to ask me this question. <laughs> and I never not like to have an answer, right? I want to yeah. make sure I explore it. And um, yeah, and it dawned on me, and I don't know, I can't remember why. And I was like, holy shit, it's those honor guard people, those kids that will do it time and time again yeah. and pay honor and do it so well. It's not a job I would ever do. No. I couldn't no. do it. Well, and... You know, as a lieutenant, I sure, you know, I didn't know this as a sergeant, but as soon as I became a lieutenant, you're now on a list, on a rotation. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pipe up and volunteer to go to a retiree's funeral or in in officer involved, you know, right. death or, or whatever, right. then you kind of get on the blacklist. Yep. You know what I mean? And oh, so yeah. as about every quarter, as long as you say, yeah, I'll do, yep. yeah, I'll go, yep. yeah, I'll go, then you still stay in good graces. You don't end up on a blacklist. Yep. But if every single one of those doesn't just rip your freaking heart out. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I only had to go uh, maybe once a quarter, twice a year. And you're right. The honor guard is there for every single one of them. And every single one of them, whether it's a retiree you didn't even know yep. or someone you did know, right. they suck every time. Yeah. So I couldn't imagine, just like I always said, you know, as a um, as a cop, you might get a DOA or, a, you know, whatever, once a month, once every other month, whatever. I wouldn't want to be a crime scene tech. Mm -mm. No. I absolutely no. would not want to be a crime scene tech because they go to every single one of them all yeah. day, every day, a couple of times a day. And so... Those people are my heroes, by the way, um, crime scene yeah. techs. And they don't get any of the recognition or yeah. appreciation they deserve. I made a point once I realized how important their job was as a brand new officer that they became my best friends. Yeah. I knew their cell phone numbers. I would, you know, I I treated them as one of the people in my squad because frankly they deserve it and they don't get that. And I had a young 
officer when I was working team four and he's just, he's lovely and he's just an amazing human, Devin Estes. Huh. And, um, he had asked me one night, um, I put him on uh sleep patrol because I had, I, it was, we worked those weird hours like 19 to zero five. And I really thought, and I'd worked days for so many years at that point. Mm. And I was, so I was like, Hey, you need to come to your paperwork. I know you're down a few cases, but anyways, um, I didn't fall asleep, but I had him there in case I did. Right. <laughs> and, um, and uh-huh. so he asked me, he was like, how do you know everybody? And he only had a couple years on at that time, two or three years on. And I was like, well, I, I talked to everybody. And if I, it's, if I see somebody new that I don't recognize, I introduce myself and ask them, where did they work before? Mm-hmm. Why do they want to be here? I always have that some sort of conversation because if I can tie a, a detail about them and remember them, then I'll most likely remember their name. And yeah. it, it just, it caught, it's just how I do, that's right. how I do people. It's what yeah, I, same. And um, he was like, ah, whatever. I, he's like, like you could call, you say you can call anyone. I was like, who do you want me to call? He was like, no, seriously. I'm like, do we have a question that we need to answer? Because I can call and they will answer the phone. Uh, like yeah. this is the this is what you do when you rapport build, when you bounce right. things off of people, and you have your network of people. Yeah. And so I think he thought I was full of crap. And um, we had a sex assault or something, and it was a bad scene. And mm-hmm. there was one of the normal crime scene techs that I knew, and a new one I'd not ever met before. And we're about to do the briefing. Devin's about to provide the briefing because it was like a higher level of sex assault allegation and so forth. So you had a whole crew of people. Hmm. And um, and so I look over and I was like, oh, hey, who are you? And they're like, introduce themselves. And I was like, where'd you work before? What do you do in your free time? And I could see on my peripheral <laughs> Devin, like literally watching with this giant uh, smile on his face, like you weren't lying. I was like, I promise you, I don't lie. Like if anything, I probably overtell the truth too much and people get tired of hearing that. And so, um, but anyways, um, so yeah. One of my favorite, and I didn't know how it was going to turn out because sometimes people come through the door and I don't really know them. I know yeah. who they are, yeah. or sometimes I don't even know them at all. And one of my favorites, it ended up being one of my favorites, and I still am so grateful to her, was Nancy McCain. Oh, yeah. Nancy was great. Yeah, I enjoyed her Because I just episode. didn't know mm-hmm. a lot about her. Yeah. I knew who she was, but I didn't yeah. really know a lot about her. Well, you just knew her because she was sending you those nasty grams from evidence. You didn't realize that she was a crime scene technician for 30 years before she became the yeah. evidence superintendent. And how she got into it. Mm-hmm. And then I loved having her on, too, because some of the personal struggles that she's facing now yeah. and battling. Yeah. And so that kind of... Um, she becomes a priority to me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because again, it's about capturing legacies yeah, because 100%. I want people to be able to tune in and hear your voice telling about your career. Yeah. And so I've had several guests now who have been in similar battles and it, uh, you talked about one of them earlier when I was showing you the stats. It becomes a priority to me to get them on as soon as possible. 100%. Yeah, sooner yeah. than later. Yep. Before I can't, you know. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, mm-hmm. she ended up being, becoming one of my favorites and I hope she hears this cuz I know she still follows the show and so Good. um but no, 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 that is absolutely a whole different level of courage. And I don't know how they do it. I don't, I don't know how they do it because I know every single one that I ever attended, whether it's somebody I knew or even people that I didn't know, was heart wrenching every single time. Yeah, no. Without a doubt, every single time. Yeah, you're so. dealing with, uh, yeah. Death and emotions and feelings at a next level. And as we get older, right, I feel like we become bigger sympathetic criers than we ever were yeah. before. Yeah. As Doc Cornell say, would say, more sentimental in our older age. 100%. 100%. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, 
you know, I've worked around people, and I said this before, I think before we were recording, I worked around people that didn't like me, and I always won them over, because it's kind of like challenge accepted. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. You know, I'm going to kick butt and take names, and at some point you'll realize, that, hey, you know, I'm really here for all the right, right. reasons. I have no other agenda. Right. And I just want to do good. Yeah. You know, and so um, the fact that you said over the last two uh, episodes that you've really become to like me and that you didn't know me before, see, I won. I did it. Well, I never no. disliked you. <laughs> no, I know. We just didn't know each other. We never worked on each other. Well, that's the thing. Like, if I was another dude, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. But for whatever reason, I also got told, like, literally, I needed to, I need to be happier if I wanted to get promoted. And I was literally, what, what of my dude colleagues are you telling them to? Who do you like? Why is it my response to make you feel good about yourself today, Brian? Right. Like, if you're nice to me, I'm going to be nice in response. Or if maybe I'm having a crappy day, does it mean I still have to be your cheerleader, make you feel good? Right. That's why my response back was, which one of my male colleagues did you say that to? And my job has never been to be someone's cheerleader or make them feel good about themselves. It says more about themselves than me. Yeah. Because you're not going to question a dude who's like, fuck off, I'm having a bad day. Yeah. You guys will like, oh, no, it's, oh, she's, I was like, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. But yeah, no. Um, I yeah. appreciate you. This was fun. Both of them are fun. Really? Yeah. Super good. And you're funny because you're like, I don't know if there's any value here. You probably have to delete most of the, no, 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 no. And I told you before we even start recording, I almost wish that I would start recording from the beginning because a lot of the conversation to me, like I said, all of that is the podcast. Yeah, no, I agree. But there's only a fraction of it is what actually goes, is recorded, but all of that is all the reasons why I love doing this. Mm-hmm. And so what was weird for me is that when I finally, I had that that one year meet and greet and I was meeting everybody in a big, huge social circle and it was very awkward to me because I, I feel like I know you and I know Nancy and I know yeah. Lillian and I know Matt Lynn and I know all these people on an individual basis. So it was really, really weird Um and it's just me. It's just I don't have I don't have you on a one to one basis now. I'm now in a group of of people, and sometimes I don't know what your relationship is to this person and this yeah. person, and this person. And so it was a weird it was a weird thing because I don't feel like I know you in a group in a group way. I <laughs> feel like I know to, you though. No, like, and you we're don't. Adults now at this yeah. point, right? So if yeah. I have a beef some, with somebody, one of your guests, I'm not gonna. Yeah, right. I have a decision. I have a choice. Either I can be nice and professional and proper, yeah. or I can go sit in my corner and not, or I can leave. Like, yeah. don't, yeah. why are you worrying about that, Brian? It's weird. It's really weird. Because yeah, that's a, I guess because anxiety. my, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I, I know, I feel like I'm friends with you on a personal level. And then when we're in like a big group setting, it was just different. It was yeah. really weird. I bet. And so, but it was fun and it is fun and I love it. And, uh, and yeah, every single person that comes to the door, I'm so appreciative because, you know, none of this works unless people are willing to come over and hang out. And the fact that some are willing to come over and hang out, even if they have to ride the Oregon Trail more than once, <laughs> to me is just a testament to to what's going on. And and I appreciate you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. And thanks for letting me leave a little bit of legacy for my kids Whoever might want to listen. <laughs> I hope my kids at least. And my daughter did listen. I, don't, I haven't told uh, her son yet. So, yeah. I don't know if he's mature enough yet to listen. And plus I talk about him a little bit because he was yeah. kind of one of the... Reasons why I, you know, retired ultimately. So I don't want him to feel like it no, was but him, I, but it was but really it's for a good, us. It's a good reason. It's really for my health. Like let's yeah. be honest. But anyways, yeah. yeah, cool. Well, thank you, dear. Bye. Bye. We're sorry. The number you have dialed is not in service at this time. And there you go. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you uh, for listening in. And uh, just a quick shout out again for um, Bouldercrest Foundation. 
If you're looking for a worthy cause to donate to, look them up on the internet. There's ways you can volunteer. There's ways you can donate, but it is an awesome organization that is helping both veterans and first responders with post-traumatic growth and finding positive ways and practices to, to deal with their PTSD. Also, you know, this episode, as every episode, is brought to you by my book, My Rookie Memoir, A Father's Legacy, and it's available on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and also as a Kindle ebook. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback, both on the podcast and also um, about the book. So if you do get the book, please leave me a review. Um, if you're tuned in, you can jump on Choir Practice on Facebook um, or also at uh, CP underscore SFAF. That's Choir Practice Stories from America's Finest on Instagram. And uh, I've already heard back from several listeners and I love it. And I get right back to you because it's, again, it's just awesome to hear from, from listeners, uh, what they're thinking about the show, what they're thinking about my guests. So be safe out there and we'll see you in a week.